This episode of Excuse the Intermission is presented in partnership with the Grand Cinema. The Grand Cinema is the South Sound's nonprofit home for independent, international, and local film. The theater strives to enrich the lives and enhance the cultural vitality of the greater Tacoma community through the art of film. The Grand Cinema is dedicated to providing their signature art house movie going experience in a safe and healthy fashion. There is something for everyone at the Grand Cinema. Along with their wonderful weekly programming, they are also home to the Weird Elephant Late Night Film Series, the Silver Screen Society, Free Family Flicks, and Tacoma's Outdoor Movie Series. You can also inquire about theater rentals at the Grand Cinema by contacting their box office or website. The staff and volunteers cannot wait to make your experience at the movies a memorable one, so grab your friends, grab your tickets, and don't forget to stop at the concession stand for the Grand Signature Popcorn. The Grand Cinema is located at 606 Fawcett Avenue in Tacoma, Washington, and open seven days a week. You can find them online at www.grandcinema.com and on Instagram and Facebook at The Grand Cinema. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. You like scary movies? Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. What have you done to it? What have you done to its eyes? How's it? I'm Alex McCauley. I'm Max Fosberg. And I'm Grant Colombini. And this is Excuse the Intermission, a discussion show surrounding movies, and more specifically, horror movies in the 2000s. The aughts, our formative years. Very formative. (laughs) So let's not mince any words and just say this now. I don't think the three of us will ever again spend as much time as we did at the cinema as we did during this decade. So to start this episode off, let's go around and talk about our fondest memories when we recollect on our movie-going experience from this time. And this is not yet exclusive just to horror films. Uh, I mean, you hit it nail on the head. I was at the movies every weekend during this decade. Um, I, as you guys know, love the movies. I spend my birthday at the movies. The weekends when we were kids growing up in Gig Harbor, there was not a lot of stuff to do. So going to the shitty movie theater in town or trekking out to Lakewood, Tacoma, anywhere, just catching a new flick. That's what we did on the weekends. It's what we did when we wanted to take girls out and hang out with them. It was just the best, the height of Hollywood video, the height of blockbuster, just renting a video game and a movie every weekend and just, you know, just trying to watch as many movies as possible. Um, The height for me, the one thing I remember is movies on TV and movies I'd never seen before and like sitting down, setting my microwave timer for when a movie was going to be on on TNT or TBS or something and just sitting down and be like, all right, I know what I'm doing tonight after school. Like I'm watching this flick. So yeah, just definitely a very movie centric time in my life was from when I was 10 till I was 19. Absolutely. Uh, like, like you said, every weekend, and we're lucky enough to remember what video stores are, mm-hmm. that you're either at Hollywood Video or renting, renting something, looking, scouring for something cool that looks cool on the cover, or 
you're at the you know the three screen theater uh, in Gig Harbor, sneaking in the back door. Yeah, sneaking in <laughs> or buying a, a ticket to Sweet Home Alabama, but you're sneaking in to something rated <laughs> right. Off. Yeah, you and I are going to the Black Dahlia. <laughs> yeah. um, it's also funny too because I realized how much I loved movies. Uh, I remember I went and saw a movie with with a whole group of people, right? A whole a whole bunch of kids from from school. And like no one was into the movie and, and like they were like throwing candy and just being loud and shit. The next day I had my mom take me back to the theater by myself and go watch the same movie so I could actually like really take it in and understand what I was watching. So yeah, the, the 2000s are, are so nostalgic for movies and, and finding that love. Well, what I remember the most about this decade and going to the theater is like still feeling small when you walk up to to the theater. And yes, we had our shitty little three screen um, theater here in town. But then also at the end of this decade, we got our big 10 screen, whatever it is now. Uh, It's turned into an IMAX theater. Yeah. And that was like in 2008. I, I remember very clearly there was this whole promotional giveaway where the first hundred people in line got like free movies for a year or something. Poker chips. And I still was, have was, one. I still yeah. have one. No, me, me and my friend at the time, uh, we like cut class that day to go stand in line and we had our moms actually like sanction this and they came with us so that we could both get two and we gave them to our girlfriends. And that was like the best summer, the best year of movie watching of my life. Just seeing everything that came out literally didn't matter if it was like the shitty speed racer with Emil Hirsch, or if all of a sudden, you know, you're about to walk into some of these movies we're about to talk about, like, but like, I will never forget the strangers in the theater with a packed house of just like, basically your entire class. And nobody had to like plan, Hey, let's all go to the movie. And like, your friends were just there. And same with like at Hollywood video, you, you knew that you could just go to the video rental store on a Friday night and see one of your friends there renting something either with their family or some of your other friends. The best part for me was when my friends got jobs at Hollywood video and they would sneak me free movies or you get the discount. Um, but going back to what you were saying about the premiere of the new theater and Max, I believe you were working there. Oh yeah. It, it was opened. my first, first job. First job. Correct right. me if I'm wrong, but the first movie that was shown there was 10,000 BC. It was absolutely to give people a little time reference. of when that came and out, they gave out shirts. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I had um, it. <laughs> and then as we lead into the horror genre, another story I just wanted to throw out there real quick is, my 13th birthday, Max, you were there for this. I got a few of my friends together. There was this movie coming out that I guarantee will not come up in this <laughs> podcast, which is why I'm mentioning it now. But I took a group of my friends out to the Galaxy Theater that is now a church next right. to Target in Tacoma. And we went to see the Crispin Glover movie Willard of him controlling rats. And <laughs> it was one of those movies where no one wanted to see it. We were the only people in the theater 20 minutes after showtime, we had to go talk to them, be like, hey, are you going to turn the movie on? Because we've just been sitting in this and they're like, oh, shit, we didn't realize people were in here. This is Classic not... Galaxy movie. Yeah. I was... <laughs> Listen, this is not the last time we're going to talk about the Galaxy 6 off yeah. Pearl. Like, that, that theater got lit. And I, oh, yeah, there's a few movies here that uh, we're going to talk about that I will never forget seeing there. Um, okay, so now it's time to hone in on the scary movies from this period. So just as we heralded how good life was in the 90s and how that resulted in a lot of mediocre horror uh, efforts, the 2000s were a very tumultuous time for people and the American movie-going crowd specifically. 
There was fear and uncertainty around every corner, and filmmakers certainly found a way to capitalize on this. We saw the rise in the, of the internet impact the publicity behind uh, behind a film grow exponentially. The Asian influence, which had started in the late 90s, became a staple year in and year out as remakes dominated the box office. The French new wave of extremism was a legitimate thing overseas and resulted in its fair share of remakes and copycats. Then, of course, American audience... Uh, American audiences got to see some of their favorite films from the 70s and 80s get remade, along with uh, being, shall we say, exposed to the torture porn genre, Um, which, you know, we'll see how much we touch on some of those movies. Very interesting. So as you guys look back on this extremely controversial and loaded decade, what stood out to you the most? Uh, to me, kind of what you just touched on there, it was kind of an amalgam of the 70s, 80s, and 90s and people touching on various things. Like, yes, there are movies late into the 2000s that really go for the gore factor and really dive into the over-the-top, just whatever we can do to freak people out in theaters. And then there are several that really go for the genuine good cinematic experience and get people thinking about the movie afterwards while also simultaneously scaring them. Uh, But I think the 2000s was, to me, this was the decade that got me into horror. This is what made me go look back on other horror movies. But I never really liked scary movies until I started watching these when I was in my teens. And so this decade holds a very special place in my heart, especially when it comes to this genre. But I really think it is just a blend of the past three episodes we've talked about. Just all the tropes of those just kind of... One way or the other, you can find a movie that is a callback or one that is all three kind of wrapped in. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the 80s was an explosion. Then it gets kind of lean in the 90s. Then we rubber band back into the 2000s for it to be another explosion of horror movies. Uh, the amount of movies that that came out this decade, whether it be true horror or some other subgenre lots of different movies weaving in between genres um so it was it was it's funny because i grew up going to see these movies right and i never thought that like there was so much quality but the 2000s is stacked well it's crazy because we like we ourselves matured in this decade as like real fans of cinema and a lot of that came with, yes, like getting your driver's license and being able just to go to the theater by yourself or go to Hollywood video by yourself. Um, and like you're saying, Grant, a lot of the times, it, you know, some of this stuff was kind of slid under the table to you, whether it was, you know, shout out to my guy, Adam, who worked at Hollywood video. Um, Adam. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. He, you know, never asked for an ID on a rated R film or anything <laughs> like that. Like, it was great just being able to kind of watch whatever you wanted, whatever your interest was. And for a lot of us, it was, you know, pushing the envelope all of a sudden. Let me watch some of this stuff that I've always heard about, whether it was from this decade or not. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the stuff I had down. It was like we talked about the VHS boom in the 80s. This was like the DVD era for mm-hmm. us where it was the same thing. A cool cover art would just jump off the shelf for you. And then, yeah, a lot of uh, subgenre cross-pollination with the CGI getting really, really good. So you had a lot of movies that were intended to be horror, but then the action is just so good in them 
that it, it kind of uh, diminishes the scares, but almost heightens the quality of the film. Yeah. And, and same with horror comedy, where you had some of these filmmakers who had been influenced by kind of the tongue-in-cheek nature of stuff from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then they're like, okay, let's just make something like, and I, we might talk about this later, I hope we do, but like Shaun of the Dead, you know? And, and then also to something that I, I added just late to the script today was IMD mess, IMDB message boards. I remember jumping on IMDB after watching, you know, any movie that I thought was decent enough to like try to do some research on. And this was before Reddit, you know, the internet was really kind of starting to pick up pace or pick up speed though. And it was so fun to go on and be like, this one part of the movie just blew my mind. Let's see if other people are talking about it. So that was really fun too. It it helped with the lore behind a lot of films. It's also interesting to think about, and there's nothing wrong with, with, you know, movies today. I mean, it's just different, but this is definitely before the eventized style of movie or the superhero genre before that boom. And things were so kind of word of mouth. Things yeah. were word of mouth. You had to you had to search things out. Everything was still pretty phys- physical media. You know, there was no Netflix until the end of the decade. Like, or if as, it was, as, it was by mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As far as like streaming and digital, and I, I just wonder how. If I'm a teen now, how does that change what I'm watching and like what I'm growing up with? I don't know. I don't know. I think it loses the nostalgia factor that Grant's yeah. talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so as I'm sure you guys are all accustomed to, we will be following our Hall of Fame format. So our three favorite films get inducted off the bat, and then after the dust is settled, we will see what's left standing from our honorable mentions. So here we go. Let's get the 12 best from this decade up on the board. Any final thoughts before we get started? I'm ready to dive in, guys. Yeah, me too. Yeah. There's a lot of meat here. Uh, a lot of films to go through. So the year is 2000. Y2K. Do we have anything, guys? Uh, nothing for me. I have an honorable mention. Um, I have nothing, so go for it. To me, this is one that... Oh, never mind. I actually do have an honorable mention as well. Oh, awesome. Go ahead. Awesome. Go ahead uh, this was a movie that I didn't think about at all when I was doing research for this episode. I was so focused on what I loved and knew, and then it popped up, and I remembered watching this with my parents, and my parents do not like scary movies. I even asked them... A, yesterday just going back hey what's your favorite scary movie and my mom was like you know i don't like i'm like frank like the original frankenstein just because i saw it like 900 times and my dad was just like oh no 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 no, i don't i don't watch those but i watched this with them and i remember being just scared out of my mind when i was 10 years old and it's robert zemeckis's what lies beneath which Harrison Ford, Michelle Fiber, uh, we'll, we're so, we'll circle back to it just because it is an honorable mention. But it was one that when it reminded me, I knocked two off my list because I was like, this needs to be talked about. It's one that I have highlighted here in my uh, spreadsheet because, yeah. yeah, it's one of those that I remember watching with my parents as well. And it's just really tense and it's scary. And it's PG-13. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of those few movies that combines the supernatural with the realism scare, which is very few totally. and far between when it comes to horror movies. Usually you focus on one or the other and this one just kind of blends the two really well together and re-watching it once i remembered it i re-watched it and i was like holy crap this is fantastic now that, that's a great uh, contribution there right off the bat the one that i have as an honorable mention from this year is final destination 
the first one. And this was a movie that it's kind of once I go through my films, it's going to be the outlier um, of of the bunch. But at the same time, it was one that I knocked a few others off for just because of how influential I think it was. And maybe not so much this one particularly, but just the Final Destination vibe that like death's coming for you whether it's like the the log the semi-truck with the logs from the second one there's things from this series of movies that i think stay with especially people our age forever where you're just like i don't want to leave that lamp plugged in because some water might drip on it and then an electrical fire might start and then that's going to cause a beam to fall down and then that (laughs) beam's going to hit you know something that's gonna wind up killing me you know the whole idea of death coming for you i think was pretty cool pretty revolutionary i don't think i'm the only one that changes lanes behind any logging truck i see right like i'm not driving behind this one uh so yeah (laughs) just wanted to give the first final destination a a little bit of love and then also one of my favorite films of all time american psycho comes out this year i had trouble categorizing it as pure horror um it's more satire than anything really but love American Psycho. I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. Really put Christian Bale on the scene. Um, and then, yeah, you had Ginger Snaps, which is a great movie. Kevin Bacon ma- uh, makes Hollow Man, which is just like a fun. It's another good kind of just like fun yeah. party, party scary movie to put on. Uh, Lep in the Hood comes out. Pitch Black. Scream 3. Shadow of the Vampire, which is a really cool retelling Will of the, yeah, the making of Nosferatu. Uh, with, yeah, Willem Dafoe, John Malkovich, and Willem Dafoe embodies the vampires so, so well in that in that movie. It's really cool. And then, yeah, to round out the year, What Lies Beneath. Uh, okay, so now on to 2001. I have nothing. Nothing for me. So I have a second honorable mention, and it's Session 9. And now Ooh. Session 9 is a very atmospheric and outright, downright, I mean, scary movie about a cleaning crew of like five or six guys that have to go into an insane asylum to clear it from a, clear it for asbestos. And it's basically like The Shining, where this insane asylum still has like memories that it's holding on to. It's, it's almost like alive. And it starts messing with the guys. It's a very effective, uh, slow burn of a horror film. And it's one that wasn't on my list to begin with. And then upon rewatching... This is, I was like, the this was the vibe I wanted to go with on my list was movies that are actually really scary. They, they stray away from the CGI. They don't have as much um, comedy built into them. There's a few laughs, like Josh Lucas is in it. Uh, David Caruso's in it. And so you have to laugh at some of their lines just because of who they are. But it's, it's a very, very effective horror film. Um, also from this year, John Carpenter makes Ghost of Mars, which he's kind of denounced. And like, it's, it's the one that, you know, he's just, yeah. It was, out, kind of, it was a miss. Yeah, the outlier was, in his career, it was a miss. for sure. Um, one that I'm sure might ruffle a few people's feathers that, that doesn't make any of our list, but Jeepers Creepers comes out this year. Great movie. Gr- All, great, great movie. Almost made my honorable mentions. It was one of those movies, as, you know, you got Justin Long and you got like, it's a, one of those horror movies, very minimal cast. And it's just a fun watch. It, it's the, a it, it was a really good movie to invite people over and watch another, on DVD. Yeah, it's another good party. Yeah, party Get, movie. gets you scared of scarecrows as you're driving down the road. Totally. Yeah. Um, and then I have three asterisks next to this film just because <laughs> it's not scary, but it holds one of the best scares in movie history. It's David Lynch's Mulholland Drive and the diner scene behind Winkies, 
when it's frightening. It's very frightening. And there's a few other like pretty unsettling moments. The Club Silencio comes to mind when I think about when I think about Mulholland Drive. But yeah, that that scene with the woman, uh, whatever you would want to call him, the homeless person behind Winkies is terrifying. Um, and then Nicole Kidman makes the others. It's a pretty pretty Great good, movie. effective, good movie. Um, and then Thirteen Ghosts, which you know, there's a bunch of like crap that also comes out in this decade. Like I'm going to touch on a few more of them, but like Thirteen Ghosts, stuff like Ghost Ship, you know, things like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just like they tried. Yeah, more more like popcorn using the CGI that was all of a sudden available yeah. to them. Yeah. Uh, okay, so on to 2002. I have a top three and an honorable mention. I have an honorable mention. All right, uh, the honorable mention. Well, let, yeah, let's hear your yeah. honorable mention, then Grant's, and then we'll go back to honorable your mention. Unless is they're the same. Twenty eight days later, and that is exactly my honorable mention. As okay, well. okay, well, let's talk about that for a second then. Well, Danny Boyle's zombie flick it changes the rules of zombies, makes them fast, right? I mean, that's the first time we it ever is. see fast zombies. The rage virus. Yeah, it's more of a it's more of a virus than the undead. Yeah. Um, Super at- atmospheric, like end of the world type of stuff going on in this movie. Uh, it also gives us Killian Murphy, who for like the first time. Um, so just a really good, great zombie flick uh, up there with with some of the best. Written by a guy Alex Garland as well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah a lot of um, fun facts on behind the scenes stuff of this movie that I think creates the the atmosphere and the world we see. Um, how they were able to shut down traffic and for the amount of time, I mean, this is downtown London in broad daylight in broad daylight. And they like, basically they had to, I'm looking at my notes right here and they shut it down for a total of two hours using 10 cameras. They got one minute of use footage because of how crazy it is to try and do that. And that minute of footage of him in a barren London is insane. Killian Murphy's one of my favorite actors. I love the th- stuff he's in. Also, another note I had that I love about this movie, one of the very few movies that is shot in sequence. They filmed it scene by scene as they go through. And I think a, a lot of that resonates in the characters and how the movie progresses to where at first they're figuring things out and then more and more stuff happens. And it is a fantastic movie. And it leads into one of my other favorite movies I'm sure we'll talk about of Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, of kind of redefining the zombie genre and bringing it from the 70s and 80s and thrusting it into the 2000s. So, yeah, 28 Days Later is fantastic. Um, And then the world gets their first look at Eli Roth this year as well. He makes Cabin Fever. Oh, oh, I have a a top three. Oh, your top three. Top three. Sorry about it. The Ring. All the time at night in your sleep. Even the damn horses. Where is she? Please. I have to stop her. If I don't, my son will die. Oh, yes. He will. The Ring, okay. Listen, it's the American, it's the American remake. And I and it's it's interesting. When I was watching this, it's very hard to take it seriously because it's been parodied so much. Oh yeah. So much. <laughs> well, and we just talked about how scary and serious the first one first one is. was, yeah. right? And watching and rewatching it, I was like, okay, I can understand where the hate is coming from, but the performance by Naomi Watts in it is just spectacular. And there is a, not, a lot of nostalgia hooked to this movie. I mean, I remember seeing this sneaking in 
to the theater to see this at 12 years old. I was like, were you yeah. not 12? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess you're not, though, in 2002. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's just a lot of, lot of fond memories um, of being just terrified and, and, and thinking, like, this is the scariest movie I'll ever see. Um, and I think a very important movie in the yeah. 2000s. And beyond terrifying, beyond frightening scenery that that movie holds, just a lot of eeriness. Like, small things now become way more frightening than they were before just because of how this movie did it. And we talked about it last episode with the Japanese version, which is far more terrifying. But with you, Max, this one was like one of the first two or three movies that just literally scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Like it was absolutely terrifying watching this at a young teenage age. And like, we were obviously the demographic, the the target audience and obviously holds a special place in our heart set in Seattle. So uh, there, was, there's, yep. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Northwest so like, vibe school. Yeah. Know. So a couple of things, like when you see the monorail and you see some other things going on, like back in the day that we don't really have anymore, but like just other things going on where it's just like, yeah, shit, dude, I know, I know that place. I know where you're going right now. Don't go there. Yeah. yeah. Now it's a, it's deserving. Of a <laughs> I know. I know. It's yeah. not, it's not, you know, it's not the best quality in the world. But I think it's important for this. It's very effective. You could show it to a 12-year-old now, and chances are they haven't seen anything else as scary as that. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so then, yes, Cabin Fever gets made. Um, uh, Hideo Nakata, same guy that makes the original ring, uh, makes Dark Water this year, which is a very, very scary uh, movie. Um, And then Neil Marshall... His directorial debut is Dog Dog Soldiers, mm. and that's you know talk, movie, yeah right? talk about redefining zombies with Twenty Eight Days Later. This redefines werewolves. Yeah, where I think they used like um like male ballerinas to play the werewolves because they wanted them to move in a certain way that was just really like lanky and and graceful and all this stuff, fluid. which is very fluid, which yeah. is so different from like the hunched over running on all fours that we got from things like. Overly aggressive. American just, Werewolf yeah. in London sure. and all that yeah. jazz. Uh, Dog Soldiers. And this this borders a line of action horror a lot, mm-hmm. but it's it's a good, good movie. Um, then you also get another one that I'm talking about. You get Fear.com, which is the same. <laughs> and, then, and then Ghost Ship happens the same year. So just some of these like crappy movies, but they like packed a punch. And when you're watching them at 13, 14 years old, once it makes its way to DVD and Hollywood video, you're like, okay. Um, and then another movie that we kind of joked about with uh, my sister on the last episode, Queen of the Damned, yeah. comes out this year. And so you get the Lestat character coming back. You get that that whole story uh, kind of get reto- be retold. Uh, Resident Evil also comes out this year. Very, very influential. Um, One of the first video game yeah. movies. Um, okay. I mean, you got, you got some other 80s in there with, like, with Street Fighter and, and other, oh, like, yeah, video game sure. adaptions. Mortal um, but, Kombat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, Resident Evil was one that kind of just took the story and kind of went their own direction. And it the first one is not bad. I'll tell you the what, the, seri- the mutated Dobermans are very scary in in that movie. When yeah. They're, when they're oh, chasing, absolutely. When they're ta- chasing down Mila, yeah. Um, and then a movie, this is a movie that I remember walking to the theater, uh, walking like from the car to the theater that, you know, just two minute little walk or whatever, but, uh, signs also comes out this oh. year and, and, Great movie. and it was like a hot summer night when it came out, it was still like 
probably 75 degrees out. My mom and I went and saw it at like the, not the late, late showing, but like a seven o'clock showing. And yeah, I'll just never forget that theater going experience. And that had some genuine scares. Well, in it. the, the moment when Joaquin's watching the news uh, telecast and the alien walks out from, from the, the birthday bushes. party in Mexico. Yeah, it's gives it's giving me chills right now just thinking about it. Yeah, there's there's some great scares and signs, and that's another one that people might think like, what that's got to get up on the board, but you know, we'll see, we'll, we'll see, see. We'll it, see. It, it might it might come back. Okay, so now the year is two thousand three. I have an honorable mention. Nothing for me. Take it away, Max. Honorable mention is high tension. Uh, this is a French like extreme horror movie. Uh, about revenge and kid, uh, it was about people getting kidnapped and this crazy murderer and this cool looking truck that probably was, I mean, it looks a lot, it reminds me a lot of Jeepers Creepers, at least the truck does. Um, and this chick just taking things into her own hands and murdering people. And it's really, really good. It's a fun fun watch great great uh foreign horror movie this will not be the first time we talk about um a film from what's considered the french new wave of horror um it's one that i love as well it's a movie that wastes no time no time getting to the point you got about 10 minutes of story and then the rest uh 70 70 or so minutes it's, it's an easy watch it's only about 80 minutes long it's just in your face yeah, yeah it's, it's a, awesome it's a great one um, okay, so you have Darkness Falls also comes out this year, which I remember seeing that in theaters. Oh man, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're scared of the Tooth Fairy, and it sucks. Um, and then Stephen King's adaptation of Dreamcatcher, which I know was like a big miss, but that that I went back and rewatched it, watched it for the pod, and uh, it's it's a really weird sci-fi take on like. I don't know, like existentialism and there's some body horror involved as well. It's just, it's, a, it, it was a movie that was way ahead of its time. I would love to get like a new take on the Dreamcatcher novel right now. Um, Final Destination 2 comes out. So we're talking about the logs, you know, previously <laughs> Freddy versus Jason, which is another great, just like party horror film. Awesome movie. Yeah. Iconic. It's a, it's a fun one. And it's, it, you know, that it's, movie doesn't really scare you, no. but to watch these two go like it's, head to head, it's like, much more of an action movie. Have those 100%. worlds meld together, especially the last. I mean, you know, spoiler alert, but the last scene of like Jason holding Freddy's head and then Freddy just going shh. Yeah, it's like right. okay, a like, little yeah, a little yeah. tongue in cheek action. I, I wonder why they never did more of those crossovers with these horror. Well, there was like, Alien vs Predator. They, Alien they vs. did Predator. try well, a think, little bit, and I think the reason Batman vs because... Superman honestly come. I don't know if you would have that if you didn't have stuff from the horror genre. Right? Uh, yes and no. I, we, that's a whole different conversation <laughs> to go into what happens in the comics and why that movie is a direct sequel to Man of Steel. But I think going back to Freddy vs. Jason and then Alien vs. Predator is very niche. Very, like, the demographic is very small. I loved Alien vs. Predator watching in theaters. It was not a Predator movie or an Alien movie, which both can be scary in their own senses, it was an action movie. Freddy vs. Jason was the exact same thing. There was no scares. There was no, like, thriller aspect. It was it's a popcorn movie. Yeah, we're watching these two go fucking head-to-head. Who's going to come out on top? And it's like a Royal Rumble. It's such a 2003 time capsule. Oh, I, I, I watched absolutely. it for the pod. And, uh, yeah, it's just, like, everything is just like, oh. I'm glad this is coming up. exactly what it was like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and then you have one of the most influential guys from this entire decade throw his uh, name into the hat. It, it's Rob Zombie's directorial debut, House of a Thousand Corpses, also comes out this year. Shout out to Rob, love him. Almost made uh, my honorable mention. Goes on to do many, many films. I'm sure we'll talk about yes. this. And then another foreign film from South Korea comes out, which is extremely terrifying this year. It's called A Tale of Two Sisters. I'm not going to say anything else about it. Just go watch it. Um, and then the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, the right. Jessica Biel vehicle, comes out this year. And that's a pretty effective and well done uh, homage to the, a the classic. The best of the modern remakes from There's a couple that, that... There's a couple that... There's a con- there's a conversation to be had. Yes, this and is it's definitely in, it. in the it's conversation. It's in that conversation, hundred percent. Most of my friends that love horror movies, not like you guys, not like me, but most of my friends that love horror movies, this is in their top three of horror movies. They love the remake. It's not bad. But there's just others, you know, and if you go back and watch the originals, you know, there's... Well, the originals are always going to be better. But out right. of that, the, this group of, especially of this decade that started Absolutely. to do those, you know, Hills Have Eyes, Texas Chainsaw, Friday the 13th, you know, eventually we get a, a new nightmare... Texas Chainsaw might be one or two. This, it, this it holds up, absolutely. This uh, movie, not to spend too much time on a movie that doesn't make any of our lists, but like this was a really fun movie uh, to also watch with a group of people. I remember a friend of mine, he had a bunch of people over, said he was going down to just like grab something, some food or some snacks or whatever, some drinks, obviously like some punch or something. We're like 13 years old or whatever. But he goes down and flips off his circuit breaker in the house and just scares the shit out of everybody. (laughs) Had a ladder set up that came back up to his second story window and then came through the window while everyone was trying to figure out like what was going on. And you can only, his name's Brennan Sandstrom. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get him on the phone. But yeah, something that you could kind of only do in that day and age with a movie like this, where it was lighthearted enough, but then all of a sudden something scary happens in real life and you're like, oh shit, you know? Um, So the first Underworld also gets made this year. Ooh, great fucking movie. Very good movie. Uh, and then Wrong Turn, also another great, just have some friends over, pop on Wrong Turn. It's like, uh, it's almost like a take on if the, the guys in Deliverance, the hill people in Deliverance were like mutated on, you know, like well, Hills Have Texas Eyes or something. Chainsaw in the Northwest. Yeah. Right? Or Hills Have Eyes in yeah, the Northwest, right. something like that. Yeah. yeah. So a bunch of just really solid efforts basically is what we're trying to get at here, you know, to, to start the decade off. So nostalgic. Yeah, it really Hearing is. all these. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're into 2004. I have a top three. Wow, okay. I have a top three and an honorable mention. All right, let's hear your honorable mention first, Grant. My honorable mention is Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. All right, talk about Excellent it for a second. Um, Zack Snyder's directorial debut beyond the documentaries or music videos, um, feeding off of 28 Days Later, redefining the zombie genre of people f- sprinting at you. Fast going zombies. Yes, fast zombies just going balls to the wall. Um, amazing cast of Mackay Pfeiffer. You get... Um, a bunch of other known, other like little less known names, but then you get Ving Rhames, um, and then you get some fun, fun cameos from people from the original Dawn of the Dead. You get Ken Fiore, you get Tom Savini just doing like little quick little snippets. So it's Zack Snyder paying homage to the people that paved the way for the horror genre, but this really sets in tone, especially as you look at his movies moving forward. He really has a lot of fun with this one. 
Um, his filter, his color grading just adds to the grittiness of it, the intensity of being locked in a, a mall and going to the sub levels, being outside, watching these people, these zombies slowly conglomerate towards them. The, you know, having the conversation with Andy from across the I way. I love Andy. Like, just great tropes for the horror genre, great jump scares, great just intensity. Like, the first time you... but. Beyond the first scene, the first time you see someone at the mall is just this guy like walking normal and then he turns and sees them and he's missing an arm and then he just starts sprinting. And it's just like, it's an adrenaline rush. There's not a lot of like, oh my God, like jump scares. There are some, but the adrenaline rush that this movie throws at you is amazing. I, I, from the first time I watched this movie, I was like, this is awesome. It starts in five minutes. Oh, 100%. You get a slow start and then boom, five minutes in, zombies, let's go. And so, some wonderful shots. Great shots. Yeah. Shout out to Ty Burrell also, just like way before Modern Family. I was going to say, you get, show he's on. He just kills it as a dick in this movie. <laughs> my notes, <laughs> like, my notes. Such a shit lord, but oh my God, is he great. As I'm writing these notes, I feel like Stefan from Saturday Night Live were like, this movie has everything. You get Phil from Modern Family, <laughs> zombie babies, a mall. Marcellus Wallace like it's just <laughs> you get like all these like random things especially now like rewatching it you're like holy shit so the fun thing about this movie that I will never forget is after an episode of Monday Night Raw on the USA Network at like 11 p.m. they were like we're showing the first 10 minutes of Dawn of the Dead uncut and it basically goes from the Sarah Pauly character yeah. leaving the hospital for her at, yeah. from her shift until the neighbor girl attacks him in their bedroom and she escapes in her car. And I remember watching that as a 14-year-old in bed at 11 o'clock at night and just thinking, whoa, yeah. like, what is well, going t- on in the rest of this movie? Well, talk about world building. I mean, that, that moment she gets in her car and you see everything happening to the neighbors and then that overshot shot of the helicopter and things happening, it just immediately immerses you in this world of things are not normal and this is terrifying and who knows what happens next. And it's just a thrill ride. To the number one Zack Snyder fan I know, yeah. <laughs> is this a top five Zack Snyder film. He hasn't done a lot of films, so like saying a top five is kind of like I mean I think he's only done. Is it on the Mount Rushmore? Is it in top three? Yes, I I would say this is probably three in his top three. Um, he looking across his other movies, it's hard. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. As a directorial debut, it's about as strong as yeah uh, of um an impact that you can make. No, absolutely, especially when classic. And doing it justice. Yeah, it is It is worth the watch. I will say, as you watch this and watch other things he's directed, like Man of Steel to Batman vs. Superman, even Sucker Punch, which I think would go underneath this movie, it is fun to see his progression as a director. There's things you see in this movie that he never does again, and then things that you see he does Every continuously. Single, single. He gets and better so, at it. So it is, it is a great first look at a director as they come on to the big picture screen. Um, but it, I will say comparatively to the rest of his movies, not as epic. He, he loves just chiming in on the epic movies, 
Uh, I mean, you got 300. 300, yeah. Yeah, you got uh, even Sucker Punch. It's not a great movie, but the visuals and the fight scenes in that, fantastic. Another one I remember seeing in the theater during this decade and being yeah, yeah. blown away by. Yeah. Um, okay, so Max, what's your Hall of Famer from this year? Oh, my, my Hall of Famer is the first Saw. Okay. And that is my Hall of Famer right. as well. Go for it, guys. If you do not kill Adam by six, then Allison and Diana will die. Dr. Gordon. And I'll leave you in this room to rot. Let the game begin. Just, it, it starts torture, torture porn horror, right? Uh, it, it, it's James Wan, who has now become a household name in horror, who's created multiple different franchises. This franchise had eight movies, and it's got a spinoff coming out in 2021. Spiral. Spiral, uh, which the tra- I think the trailer just came out. Yeah. Chris Rock is starring Chris in it. Chris Rock is starring and executive producing it. Samuel Jackson is in it. Got a great cast behind it, and it's just basically how they define it, which I love, is kind of building off the universe of from the book of Saw. Right. So they're not going to do too much of the seven movies we've seen before but build off of what I hope is the early renditions where James Wan and Lee Whannell were heavily involved and kind of building off of that. But Also, uh, another movie when I was rewatching it, it's been parodied so many times. Yeah. And it's it, it was like, okay, this is kind of weird to watch, but very effective horror, totally body horror or torture porn, I guess you would call it. It, it, it breathes, it, it creates or births a new, whole new genre, subgenre of horror. The tagline of the movie was it redefines the horror genre. It brings this new age to it, this new feel. And where, it, it, yes, it, I feel like it sparks the torture porn. And the first one, I feel like, doesn't really do what the following movies does. Like, every movie following in the Saw franchise tries to one-up the last one of how crazier can we get, how much gory can we get, how much more can we show you. The first one is, dare I say, done in a tasteful manner. Like, Well, I remember the first one, it it made its name because it was at a ton of film festivals. Like, it was, a, oh, it stole this show at Sundance. Insanely yeah. low-budget film. $1.2 million dollars. Filmed entirely well, and I feel like a lot of that went to Carrie Elways and Danny Glover yeah. being being in the movie. By the way, Danny Glover's in that movie. Yeah, I totally like, forgot about that. Right? When I was rewatching, I was like, oh. <laughs> Most of the movie takes place in the bathroom, and those scenes, like I mentioned before in 28 Days Later, shot in sequence to get those two actors. Lee Whannell, the writer, is Adam, Adam and, yeah. and he does a phenomenal job. I am a huge fan of this guy. And how it progresses and it gets their emotions going, I think, is n- something that not a lot of horror movies touch on. It really gets the emotions going, puts you in the room with them. And then, of course, the twist at the end. The first time I'm watching this by myself, seeing that twist at the end of Jigsaw standing up and taking the prosthetics off. And you're like, what the f- what what and it sparks what then like how you say gets parodied and almost they try to overdo in the future saw movies and it doesn't quite hit but the first one dare i say the first two just define this decade of new age horror i feel like there are some aspects it touches on but i almost would say this is almost an original flick there's oh, I, uh, there's I a there's a an insane amount of originality behind this and I highly recommend if you have seen this or if you haven't seen it and you watch it go watch the short film 
that James Wan and Lee Wannell did, you'll see a lot of tie-ins, but even just more just ingenuity and genius behind these guys that, how Max said, are horror geniuses. James Wan and Lee Wannell together with Insidious, with Dead Silence, with the future of the Saw movies just being executive producer, producers, just absolutely fantastic. I will say that the first Saw movie is by far and away my favorite horror movie. It, wow. is, it okay. is not the movie that scared me the most. That movie's coming up. <laughs> this is my favorite horror movie. One of the best, uh, like, five-minute sequences, like, if you were going to try to sell this movie to somebody, and now it might not be indicative of what's to come. You know, it's not a swimming pool full of syringes, used needles, or whatever oh, like that from, from... Is that the second or that's third the one? Se- that's yeah. the second one. But this the scene where... Uh, the character gets taken in his apartment and he's flashing his camera. Oh, the, the and with the pig mask. Yes, and it, the pig mask. No. That is, I remember being one of the first times I was genuinely scared. It is one of the, the scariest, scariest parts of it. And like the pig mask, like when you look at it, you're like, oh, that's not scary. In that scene, terrifying. Couldn't agree more. Uh, that one, 100% deserves to be up there. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Shots. <laughs> Shots fired at the ring. Um, okay. Naomi, girl. <laughs> My girl. Hey, we already gave him a hole and drive credit. <laughs> um, okay, and so since that was both of your guys' Hall of Fame from this year, we'll just touch on some of the other uh, efforts. Alien vs. Predator, which we had mentioned previously, comes yep. out. Uh, the Grudge comes out. The Sarah Michelle Geller remake of the Japanese film. Um, and then, yeah, you had Shaun of the Dead, which I'm kind of happy neither of you guys put up here because I know you love it so much, but oh, it's just too fun. It's one too of my fun. Movies of all time. Yeah, yeah, but it just Ed- doesn't Edgar fit. Wright is phenomenal. Yeah, it just doesn't fit in the horror genre, though, really. Uh, and then you had The Village, M. Night Shyamalan's movie that kind of started his downfall, I, I would say, yeah. um, until he comes back with Glass, you know, um, right. in the next decade. And so split, split. Well, well, split, say, yeah. split first, then glass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So now we're on to 2005. Uh, I have an honorable mention. Honorable mention for me as well. Go for it. The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Oh, nice. Great pick. Nice. Uh, interesting film. Very much like we were talking about. It takes a courtroom drama, weaves it in with an exorcist story. Tom Wilkinson, Laura Linney. I mean, you've got some A-class actors in it. Um, not the most frightening movie ever, but there are some, some scary sequences, uh, and just kind of does an, in, takes it very serious, takes an exorcism, exorcist movie very serious. And directed by one of my favorite horror directors, which I won't be able to get to touch a lot on until our next episode, but Scott Derrickson. Who is Absolutely. very very versatile, but when he wants to do horror movies, he does it right. Well, he does something in the in the teens that's great. Oh, yes. um, well, we'll, so, we'll and then talk about that. Also, em- Emily Rose, the Jennifer, title character, Jennifer Carpenter. Yeah, kind of uh, the Amer- you know America's first introduction to her, and, and she a, becomes a scream queen. Totally, and she's yeah. a gr- she's just a and great then, actress uh, overall. And yeah. then she goes on to be in Dexter, which is horror slash mm. you know kind of meddles that that line. So she's a perfect fit in in that genre. Couldn't agree more. Uh, and then Quarantine, of course, right? Yeah, yeah. later this decade. Uh, so what's your honorable mention? My honorable mention is Eli Roth's hostile um kind of jumping off of what we talked about was saw the beginning of the torture porn kind of movie this movie just escalates that phenomenally and also the way i talk about jaws in the 70s this movie makes you afraid to travel 
You yeah. are like traveling alone, traveling with one person, going to a place, meeting people where you are. This movie kind of just instills that little frightening aspect of you who are strangers. Who are these people you don't know in a foreign country? And it leads these people down a terrifying, terrifying road, let alone the fact that it's based loosely off of a true thing that happens in Taiwan to where people can go pay thousands of dollars and torture a human in any way they feel. And like you have a room alone with someone and it's just a, just an insane concept that has been investigated and tried to be shut down, but somehow it still exists in this world. And so hostile like just jumps off of it. Eli Roth is a very interesting guy to look into as far it's as like Quentin Tarantino's act- son. That's yeah, yeah, no, saying. exactly. This yeah. is his, like... Film. No, Cabin Fever. Oh, Cabin was, Fever. Yeah, Ca- he right. did Cabin Fever, and then Hostel was kind of like his, like, real just, like, let me just dive into this craziness. Um, and I, I love the guy. I think he's, I think he's a brilliant f- filmographer. Like, I don't want to just say director or actor, but, like, what this guy does, I'm always a fan of, but Hostel was one of those movies that just irked me to my core. Hard to watch, definitely covered my eyes a couple times the first time i watched this but uh but a good story a great story through and through from beginning to end any achilles tendon cutting scene just oh, count me out God. count me out God. um so just to put even a little bit more uh respect onto saw's name i i don't really think that saw is torture porn because the torture porn label uh insinuates that there's like some pointless sex or people are getting killed while naked like that's what the torture porn genre right. is whereas so i think hostile is the first you know and, and major the, effort into that subgenre and that's what i'm saying i feel like the saw movies as they went on they started leaning more towards that the first two not at all because right. it is very much just it's a mindfuck it's, of a it's, movie. it's 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 more justice it's more like the killer it, puzzle yeah yeah oh, Correct. oh jigsaw hey um but but hostile <laughs> is basically pain for pain's sake torture for torture's sake i'm getting pleasure out of this saw is until probably the fourth or fifth one, it starts meddling that line a little bit. The third one, yeah, I'm sure. But the first two are just right. very straightforward. This is an, like an obscure form of justice, and I think I'm right. Now that I'm thinking about it, they're, they're, you could say the first two Saw movies have much more in common with something like Seven. Oh, right. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay, so then if that's all we have to say... About 2005, right? Yes. I'll just kind of touch on some of the other movies that come out. I'm really surprised. I know we'll probably get crucified uh, in the mentions for not bringing this up too, but The Descent comes out in 2005. It's a great movie. It's, it's a fantastic movie for about the first 45 minutes. I feel like, and I remember seeing this in a drive-in, and yeah, I'm pretty sure it was with you, Max. A uh, big group of people, and a few of us, you know, are just scared shitless but then it's kind of also one of those things where once you see the monsters the creatures that are down in these caves the the tension's lost takes yeah. that bite yeah away. um and then you have rob zombie follow up with the house of thousand corpses makes the sequel the devil's rejects which is once again more of an action movie than really a scary movie but it's awesome it's Ooh. just such a cool movie uh and then yeah you also had house of wax which you know we said that there's a lot of remakes from the 70s and 80s this is dating back even further and this movie for whatever reason 
fucking holds up. Like, this movie it really, is really, it really cool. does. It's I, the cast, really. It's Alicia Cuthbert, Chad Michael Murray, Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton. Yeah. Thing. And I think that's the most detrimental part. People are like, but oh, that Paris Hilton her, movie. You can't wait to see her die. Right. It's great. But the killer. Still like, have never seen this movie. Ooh. Interesting. It's, it's one of those, like, it definitely takes odes from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like the family aspect, this underground person, this thing you don't see. I, I wa- I've only seen it once. Maybe like once and a half, and like what well, I saw a few bits of it, but it holds. Like how you said, it holds up. Well, I think the fun thing about that movie too is that that's not really one of the originals that we were like shown as kids. Maybe you were like the original House of Wax, but this one took it to another level. Where see, and I to right this moment, I did not know it was a remake. Yeah. I thought it was a very original. No, movie, I'm pretty sure it's so, like a Vincent no. Price movie. It is yeah. a Vincent Price movie. Um, and then you also have the Skeleton Key, which is a pretty effective Kate Hudson movie, a ghost story basically. But it's it's a super solid movie. Uh, and then also Wolf Creek, which this now we're bored. We're really into like torture porn, and this wasn't an American effort. This was made in Australia. But Wolf Creek is a really good scary movie which involves Another werewolf movie no wolf creek is like a crazy guy in the outback oh. who picks up picks up some backpackers and just you know the whole deal is he's trying to kill him and torture him right throughout the movie there you go okay so now we're on to 2006 nothing for me 2006 nothing for me all right <laughs> buckle up fellas <laughs> I have an honorable mention and a Hall of Famer. My first Hall of Famer. I will talk about the honorable mention first, though. Um, I'm really upset that you threw in high tension first because I fucking love the French New Wave of cinema. And so mine is uh, Eels, which is translated to Them. And Them is a movie about a young couple who have a house that's secluded out in the woods and they basically just get, like, they are paralyzed by fear from some home invade from home invasion. Like, there's a group of people who are trying to break into the house. And yes, this might sound kind of familiar. And that's because The Strangers totally rips this movie off. Um, which, I'm sorry if it makes your guys' list later. It was on mine, and then I watched this movie, and another movie that's to come, also made in France. And I'm just like, wow. There is so much in this film that is impressive. It's thought provoking. Uh, I've, it's it's great because if you're not into like reading a movie with subtitles, you don't really have to do a lot because it's basically just like the strangers, but in France. And so a lot of it's just like you're running and you're hiding and you're whispering and and the tension builds so perfectly uh and then kind of the whole twist that you find out at the end is that these are children who are doing it to them like kids between the ages of like 10 and 15 and they say that this is based on a true story i did a little bit of research on this another film that i'm going to talk about from this whole french new wave um and the strangers and it sounds like they're all kind of loosely based off maybe something that happened in california wow. a couple years prior so yeah just the fact that you know home invasion can happen it's real. This movie is the first one that really touched on it, brought it to a bunch of, uh, brought it to the mainstream audience, basically. So them, it's a it's a great movie. I believe it's available to stream on like the IMDb TV app right now. If if anybody out there has that through Amazon, and and don't be afraid of subtitles. No, please okay? no. There's so many good foreign horror movies, especially horror, and just like High Tension, if you're not into reading, like, don't worry. There's 
plenty of times you're not reading anything. No. And also, too, I mean, like, I took French in high school, so it's kind of funny. Like, I'll find myself, like, 50 or an hour, uh, 50 minutes or an hour into these movies, and your vision just kind of blurs. And you're not really reading it. You're comprehending what's coming across the bottom of the screen. Um, But, yeah, it all just kind of meshes together, and it it really works. Well, it goes back to Bong Joon-ho's quote from winning the Oscars for Parasite. Once you get over a one-inch barrier your world opens up to so many good totally. movies. And a lot of foreign films, it doesn't matter if it's Spanish to Italian, things that are close to the English language to Japanese or French, which are a little bit farther from, movies and how they're structured, you you don't really have to read that much. You can get what's going on. You the can best get thing the about emotions the horror genre, in the field. Exactly. The yeah. best thing about the horror genre, it's the emotions and the expressions that you see on yeah. the main characters' faces and things like that. But so, yeah, um, Them is an extremely well done, well done French film. And then my Hall of Famer uh, that I'm going to put up on the board right now is the 2006 film Touristas. these people? Vacation is over. Turistas. I wanna go And now Turistas is my favorite offering to the quote unquote torture porn yeah. subgenre. Stars Josh Dumal, Melissa George, and Olivia Wilde. So you have a very strong, solid cast. Directed by John Stockwell, who's my guy that I talked about on uh, for Into the Blue and Blue Crush. So this guy is just like, he really hits home for me. I really like his vision as a director. Um, I talked about kind of the underwater shots in uh, Into the Blue. This one, he actually had an underwater cinematographer. Like a separate guy to shoot the uh, shots underwater for him because he just knew, like, this is my jam. Like, I want this in my movie. So there's some awesome scenes in a cave, just, like, amazing, amazing shots. And then, yeah, the the whole idea behind this movie is it is, like, for the audience, um, like, gore and torture for torture's sake. But it's really, like, you sympathize for both sides because the whole whole premise uh, is a backpacking group basically just gets drugged after they think they've found this like awesome beach oasis in Brazil. And this is another movie that was shot in sequence all on location. So you really get that feel for it while you're watching it. And, and then, yeah, the, the uh, people who have set them up to be drugged are in cahoots with this just like crazy maniacal doctor who wants to use these people's organs because he's tired of, gringos so it doesn't have to be american tourists like you know you have a bunch of people from this movie um or not a bunch of people but you have swedish characters you have british characters the melissa george characters from australia but they're all caucasian and so he's just tired of other people coming to brazil using um you know uh, the brazilian people for like cheap plastic surgery taking their organs when he has this whole spiel about the year uh the wait list in america is like seven years for a new kidney and all this other stuff. And so he's just like, you know, I've had enough. I'm taking matters into my own hands. You come here. You just think it's time to party, party, party. You're on spring break the whole time. Uh-uh. I'm, I'm taking your heart, your liver, your kidney, and I'm putting it into the People's Hospital of Brazil. Or I'm taking it to the Children's Hospital. So there's a, a real, like, thought-provoking he's message. He's an anti-hero. He's an anti-hero. Yeah. There's a real thought-provoking message behind Chaotic this movie. Chaotic good. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's shot beautifully. I had a lot of fun watching it with, uh, kind of a friend of ours. We, we hit play at the same time 
And it, it's, a, it's a great movie to watch with people who are squeamish because there's some great squeamish shots, but then there's also like just some real unsettling, scary scenes like before they get drugged and they're having this great time in paradise and you're just like, oh, this is not going to go well. And then you start to see the signs build and build. It does a great job of cutting back and forth between... And, and also, too, they're not like teens, uh, like Josh Dumal, Olivia Wilde. They're all like in their 20s when this is happening. So they're sensical throughout this all. Like Josh Dumal and also his character's name is Alex. We don't get enough Alex's in movies. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, he's, he's really smart throughout the whole film. The Olivia Wilde character, she's really smart throughout the whole film. And, and so you get attached to all these people and you get the sense that like, oh, this isn't going to be a movie that just has like a final girl or a final character. So it keeps you guessing until the end if you haven't seen it on like who's going to survive and who's not. I, I, like I said, I think it's uh, the best effort in the torture porn genre just because of kind of the things I've said. It's not it's not just like a, a killing club like in Hostel or it's not just like some madman who's doing this because he's deranged. Like this guy has a vision. I've always felt this movie was basically Hostel with a better storyline better writers it just did what hostel was trying to do which was this tourism terror and then teresa's just kind of like ups the ante a little bit i love this movie and i'm glad it made your list it almost made my honorable mentions but as one of those i'm like ah, i'm hoping someone else talks about it cool 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 um okay so then you also have behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon which is a real meta like documentary of a guy who wants to be a serial killer max i think you and i watched it together a yeah. couple years ago really interesting wants movie. wants to be a jason wants to be a jason wants to be and then at the end the last like 20 minutes i just remember really ramps up and you're just like oh fuck um uh hatchet also comes out this year which is a really kind of fun that starts the whole victor crowley um which has turned into like a four or five movie franchise now the first hatchet is really good takes place in new orleans real gritty feeling uh the hills have eyes remake directed by the same guy that did high tension um alexandre aja aha aja probably age AJA, but uh, that's uh, <laughs> our that, French listeners. Please let us know. <laughs> he uh, uh, he makes a bunch of movies this decade, and then also this, like we're saying with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is probably in the conversation for like the best remakes of American classics. Where I know a lot of people prefer the Hills Have Eyes remake to the original Wes Craven because of just kind of the scares that get ratcheted up. The trailer scene in this one is insane. Well, also, the, the production value goes up the, uh, of course. up the wazoo. I mean, back in the day, it's still terrifying, but it's just abnormal-looking people that just look that way, guys that have a little more, like, prominent brows. This just adds prosthetics up the wazoo. Yeah. It just adds a little bit more of the unseen scary before you actually see what's happening and, and then a guy you just mentioned bong joon ho friend of the pod love you bong joon makes the oh, host which the is host. a movie i watched so for the good. first time for the pod and oh my gosh i left it off my honorable mentions because i thought someone else was gonna put it, it on there I'll, but... I'll put it down here on like a little separate category yeah, and see, no, the, the see host if we get is, back to it it's such a good monster movie it is fantastic it is one of the few monster movies that i feel bridges the gap between horror and monster films there are monster films that are not horror yeah and they're yeah like godzilla or something like that. right and then this is like scary as hell love the host yeah i mean this was a movie that i'd seen on countless streaming services as it cycled through hulu and prime and netflix or whatever and then i finally watched it for this and i don't know what i thought it was going to be going in but, oh my gosh, I was just floored. I, I can't recommend this movie Which enough. is very Bong Joon-ho. 
Totally. Like, like you go into a movie thinking it's going to be one thing, and then it ends up being a completely different other thing. And there you go. And so then, yeah, we had a lot of remakes. And then you also had, like we were talking about with um, Resident Evil, like video game adaptations. So Silent Hill also comes out here in this yeah. year, 2006. And Silent Hill, I know for a lot of people, has movie. some of the scariest imagery like you know that they really stayed true to the game and that's a really scary game to play i remember playing that game on like a friend's ps2 in the middle of the night and just being so scared to all of a sudden go for a glass of water walk down the hallway to the bathroom and that movie embodies a lot of those same characteristics from the video game my older brother loved the scary video gameplay he played all the resident evils he played the fear games he stayed away from the silent hill games because of what that the the connotations what we saw from it and so it was one of those movies i've always stayed away from just because i know that it kind of if it scares my older brother yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um and then james gunn makes slither this year and slither's another just like fun campy but also effective good horror movie good contribution to horror in the 2000s yeah um snakes on a plane get these motherfucking snakes (laughs) off this motherfucking plane not scary but it's categorized basically as horror action horror yeah it's iconic um because of that movie you get snakes on a train which is that sci-fi you know (laughs) i'm just kidding let's move on um (laughs) and then the second underworld comes out the underworld movies just keep on coming and they're all really fun uh, and then let's see, you also had, uh, the second of like kind of the Texas Chainsaw remakes, the beginning with Jordana Brewster, uh, goes from, back to, goes like, back tries to, to be a prequel, yes, like how the thing yeah. was to, and, and it's another one of those where if you're a fan of the genre, like I hate when people just, you know, crucify remakes and reimaginings and, and origin stories and stuff like that. Hey, listen, if you're a fan of, of the story of the franchise, quit watching the same movies over and over just get something you know give me something new i love it yeah um okay so now we're on to 2007 i have a top three i have a top three and that's it i I have an honorable mention paranormal activity is my top three not mine uh, so, paranormal activity is my honorable mention. Honorable so let's mention. hit on that first. Okay. So building off what Blair Witch did, it takes that found footage uh, style and puts it in your home and gives you a poltergeist movie, but in that style. I rewatched it for the pod. And just even though, listen, the end fall, falls flat. But that first like 40 minutes is just so tense. And even knowing what is coming, like it's just it, when that clock stops at like 3 a.m. Every time, dude. Every I'm so happy single you said that. time. Because you're they just, fall asleep at like 10 or something. And right. then you see it sped up and you're sitting there. I remember seeing it in the theater and just thinking like, don't stop at three, don't stop at three, don't yeah. stop at three. And then it's always like 324. And I'm just like, fuck, here we go. Yeah. And it's just it's it's just a very effective effective horror movie and it controlled like the horror culture there for at least a month and it controlled the theaters right because i remember it was coming out but like it wasn't in every theater and and i was working at the theater by then i believe and theaters had to like apply to get this movie in their theater so just uh took took the viral or yeah the viral marketing to like a whole new level off of what Blair Witch did. It had a mystique behind it, for yeah, sure. For yeah, for sure. 
Um, okay, go ahead. I mean, for uh, or if, yeah, talk about for, yeah for Paranormal Activity. The one thing I enjoyed about that movie, even though I hated the movie when I watched it, is because of how much it scared me with the found footage thing. Was the alternate endings that they filmed, and the Blu-ray offers a lot of great stuff to where there's the one where it happens where she kills the guy and then it's just her rocking back and forth and there's one where cops enter and then there's ones where like there's just they it's brilliant filmmaking to film multiple endings and to see what lands the best oh because you can imagine they probably tested them all yeah exactly and it's one of those especially in horror especially with such a low budget horror movie to offer the fans something new and be like oh my god i like this way better and I don't know which ending I like better. I've only seen the movie once for obvious reasons. Scared the hell out of you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but yeah, Paranormal Activity definitely deserves to be up there. Well, and the really fun thing about this is it was a return to that low-budget feel where you were like, oh man, I, I don't have to be out in the woods. I can do this in my home, like what you're saying, Max. Yeah. Um, and this is coming off the heels of, I mean, we've already gone through six years of cgi budgets exploding and these huge big budget adaptations of video games and everything and this said wait a minute i we're going to be one of the last and final words on this genre for this decade and it's going to cost us about a mil yeah Yeah. maybe not even that and also it's like going off the height of blair witch to where it's just brought it back it's people being like i have four cameras Let's make a movie that's going to yeah. scare the shit out of It people. spawns its own franchise. You get uh, quarantine after this. You get uh, a lot of other different uh, found footage, uh, VHS, eventually. You know, it, it it does bring that found footage back into the consciousness. Full circle, yeah. kind of. Especially the low-budget found footage, the... The stasis camera, the like, oh, I'm viewing this from a security camera rather than someone's handheld. It's you get that third part. That's kind of what makes those scenes so scary, too. Oh, it's not like you're not shaking, running through the woods. You're stuck. You're a prisoner of that of that shot. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so then what's your honorable mention? No, my top three. Oh, you have another top top three three for me, which is Rob Zombie's Halloween. Behind these eyes, one finds only darkness. These are the eyes of a psychopath. We've we've talked about remakes. We've talked about this movie um, back, obviously, in the earlier episodes. But I feel what Rob Zombie does with this movie is not only a love letter to the beginning, because he uses so much of the original lines. He uses original music. He uses John Carpenter's music tweaks some of the tracks a little bit to add a little more to it um but i remember alex you saying something about like you don't need backstory you don't need to see where michael myers comes from i love that part of this movie i know what what i said was i i just wish in the original that they either would have expanded on it like rob does in this one right or just leave it out exactly and, and make him like a leather face yeah, yeah yeah and and this movie does such a good job of kind of giving you some without giving you all like you see this troubled kid where you feel for him he's from a very troubled family you know you, you see the arguments between the stepdad sherry and the moon mom. zombie baby yeah uh it, it, sherry moon does a great job i think this is her best job in a rob zombie flick agreed the, he he kind of well stre- actually baby baby's pretty great yeah the, yeah yeah and yeah. devil's rejects he, he yeah. stretches her thin and like you know in a lot of his movies but this one like gives her more humanity 
and you feel for her. She has more to do in her oh, in the first act absolutely. than she does in a lot of his other movies. And yeah. th- this movie just does a great job of giving you this new look into this character. And then when it jumps into the movie, like halfway through, it takes until we get into what we see in John Carpenter's Halloween. Because you get this childhood. You get then Michael at the insane asylum. And the scenes he has with Danny Trejo. I'm so happy you're talking about this. Yes. <laughs> like the like the whole idea of him in that with the masks and like even like you the scenes he has with Danny Trejo in the beginning of them like having a good relationship. Well, that's what I'm talking like I was kind of making fun of uh, the original during the 70s one because I'm like, is there like a conspiracy movie that needs to be made about Smith's Grove and what was happening there? Rob almost tells you like, hey, Danny Trejo is hooking him up with like some stuff. Like he was like, yeah. hey, Mikey, you know, yeah. like, well, I'm like gonna come, I'm going to talk to you about this. I might yeah. be teaching you, maybe giving you a driver's like, hey, manual. Hey, man. <laughs> Hey man, you gotta look beyond the walls. You gotta look beyond the walls. I've been where you've been. You gotta look beyond the walls and like him helping him. And then you have those fucking two assholes, those nah, cousins not even that come about in. It, yeah. But but then it's like one of the most harrowing scenes is the part where he's killing Danny Trejo and Danny just keeps saying, "I was good to you, Mikey. I was good to you." But it just encapsulates and solidifies this character of Michael Myers of nothing matters Soulless. other than my baby sister which he's obviously only been thinking about this entire time he only feels comfortable around his mask those scenes when they get into his room and he has like just a hundred masks different masks around he's just been making the paper mache ones yeah exactly like it the this movie offers and i think just escalates the original halloween to where after watching this i went back and watched the original halloween obviously for the pod for the 70s episode but it adds more to it i feel like after you see this it like makes that a little bit more scary thinking of that backstory well yeah even though it's 30 20 30 years later and something i'm going to talk about with one of my hall of famers here coming up is that like you love to see a bully get their comeuppance yeah and so you get that in the first act you also get basically everything that you've ever learned in like a criminal law class or by watching dateline or something where you're like a psychopaths will start by killing animals and they find right. the dead animals in and then young he, Michael's and backpack. And then he kills his bully. Yep. And then with a stick. And then uh, Malcolm McDowell being the new Samuel Lo- I, I Loomis. I love Ms. Loomis, yeah. Yeah, he does a great job. But then also how you were saying about like bully getting his come up and it's like, yeah, he kills those two guys in the hall and then he immediately kills the guy that was good to him. And so you're immediately solidified of the terror that Michael Myers is and the unpredictability that this guy has. And then I love like the uh, I, I like I mentioned with Dawn of the Dead, the callback to these old horror icons. Ken Fiore has that small job of the guy like taking a shit in the toilet and the, the truck stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the truck stop. Um, but <laughs> and great. then uh, Danielle Harris that you mentioned it was in Halloween Four five. or no, it's Halloween Four. four. She's in yeah. Four and Five. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. in Four and Five. Yeah. She has a small role in that, so it's kind of like. Rob Zombie's love letter to John Carpenter because he like I remember rewatching it for this and realizing this is the soundtrack. This is John Carpenter's music and him and Deborah Hill are both credited as writers. Um, even though Rob Zombie obviously like wrote that there are a lot of lines that are copied from. And so I feel like it's one of those remakes that. Like, I hate remakes. I'm not a huge fan Call of them. Call it reimagining. Yeah, no, and that, and that's what I love about it, and that's what exactly what I was about to say. It is Rob Zombie's reimagining of this movie. It is, let me take this and just bring it to the new age. 
And it is one of the most exhilarating horror movies I've ever seen. I'm happy it's up there because I think it gets uh, dumped on a lot. And it's a great uh, embodiment of what horror was in the 2000s. Well, Plus, Rob Zombie needs to be up there. He, ne- yeah. he does need oh, to yeah. be. Yeah. Um, we've we've talked then, about him a few times already. So, And then just got to throw out there, Tyler Maine as Michael Myers. I mean, the guy, it was Sabretooth in the X-Men movies, got underused. I feel like he's an actor that can be like Derek Mears as the new Jason and other things like that, where this guy does a great job of just being this physical specimen, boating physical terror and like the long hair over his face. And even the young kid, I, I I had the notes down very, but the young kid, like the, the, the kid that he got, hasn't been in much since, but does a great job of being a fucking psychopath. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, okay. Well, that's, I'm happy that's up there. I uh, also in 07 you had 30 Days of Night which is an awesome awesome vampire movie. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, Danny Huston's line in that of no god, no god. Just me. so great. Yeah. Like, oh, damn. Ben Foster, Ben Foster, Stuart, Melissa ben Foster Melissa Benz. George, Josh Hartnett always yeah. I think that oh, he's yeah. he's a good actor. Uh 1408 which is one of the better Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. Uh pretty creepy movie. I remember seeing that at a drive-in as well and being Cusack and, and Samuel Jackson. I was just Jackson. Jackson. Cusack and Jackson. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's a really good one. And then also 20 28 weeks later yep. comes out and now that movie uh, from beginning to end doesn't, you know, can't hold a candle to the first first one really but the opening like 10 minutes of that film are very very scary it's the people that do the world building danny boyle created a world people capitalizing on it yes it doesn't hold weight but that first little bit you're entranced because you're like i love the first one let me see what's next and then james wan makes dead silence this year we already touched on that movie for a second and Um, lee wennell wrote that yep yep um and then uh tarantino and robert rodriguez team up and and put out the grindhouse movies which i will never forget watching and those are you know planet terror more action uh or more more horror probably death proof more action yeah um but both of them put together and if you saw it in the theaters you got some really funny like intermission scenes and oh, then yeah. Rob Zombie does a trailer for Werewolf Women of the SS uh, Eli Roth does a trailer for a, another fake movie called um, just like Thanksgiving or something yep. like that Thanksgiving. Yep. oh my god if those <laughs> movies ever got fleshed out like they would be just so awesome well, even- so it was just an immersive experience to, to see it's tough to categorize them as horror but at the same time I think they're all Grindhouse right they're Grindhouse along right. with Rob Zombie's uh, thousand uh, definitely yeah, yeah all, all these rejects, guys work no, together devil's for rejects. a reason yeah i mean and i could even you could even comment on both of those movies like you know death uh dead planet or death planet planet terror planet terror thank you yeah. is like the ode to the old zombie movies mm-hmm. where death proof is then the ode to the serial killer the the stalking the halloween the jason i'm gonna be if the you think about force. the kurt russell character in death proof he's a oh, psychopath stump stump man mike is fucking terrifying yeah definitely yeah. wow ladies um okay so then you have the hitcher remake with sophia bush and sean bean yeah so it's a pretty good movie uh the second hostel comes out eli roth comes back and directs that one uh a movie that doesn't really get considered as a horror film but i am legend has some great monsters in it and it kind of has the same vibe another remake another remake and it kind of has the same vibe. yeah of the omega man Mm -hmm. and it kind of has the same vibe as um 
uh, 28 days later, yeah. where all of a sudden you have this guy left alone in a huge city. The eeriness. The eeriness of just seeing an empty Times Square like is very effective. The I worst think. part about that movie is if you look at what they would have done with prosthetic and actual practical Instead effects, it was going to yeah. be way more terrifying. And then also one of those movies, like we talked about with Paranormal Activity, the alternate ending, in my opinion, was way better. Agreed. Agreed. Way better than the actual ending. Yeah. But, yes, I feel like it that is in this genre, for sure. So then another movie that I have highlighted here that comes out of France is called Inside. And now this probably would have made my list over them. But it, this kind of goes back. It's this and then another movie that comes out the following year in 2008. But I can't sit here with a straight face looking at you guys and without like a devilish grin for all the people who are listening and say, go out and watch these kind of like what we talked about with cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Even though it was an honorable mention of yours, it's important enough to be mentioned. So I'm just happy that we already have talked about like high tension and then the movie that I brought up them because this movie inside is way scarier than either of those two movies. It's another home invasion uh, film that takes so much uh, or that the strangers takes so much from to the point where this girl, uh, she's pregnant. She's already lost her husband in a car crash. She's about to have the baby. And the woman who she was in a car crash with, you come to find out, lost her baby in the accident. So now she's coming back to try to like basically perform a C-section with a pair of scissors and take this woman's baby. Yikes. And yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I'm fucked up. It's a fun watch, but, <laughs> um, but, but it's not, it's not one that I can recommend wholeheartedly, but at the same time you watch them and then you watch this movie and I'm sorry, but like within the last couple of days, I've just totally canceled the strangers. Like it just, it doesn't, there's literally a scene in this movie where the woman, the, the woman who's in peril, her mom comes to the house much like um, the the our guy from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, whatever. Glenn yeah, Glenn. Yeah. yeah, where and she's walking slowly around a corner, and the main woman thinks that she's the bad, she's the the antagonist, and she accidentally kills her, much like the guys do in The Shining with him and the shotgun. And I'm just watching this, and then the strangers, that, the strangers, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, oh, man, I hate, I hate how, and it's tough because obviously we're like we're coming up on 40 years of and you know being into this genre on this podcast so it's hard to find originality in any of these movies but oh my god this movie inside is just it's phenomenal and it's extremely scary you have a lot of the same deals where there's no music jumps there's no music cues and it's just a woman standing like in a dark hallway behind and she just walks out and you're just you know as an audience member it's on you to see it and then it, it and if you do it's terrifying um so then the mist also comes out frank darabont uh, adaptation of Stephen King's book. Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane. It's a great movie. Another movie that we've talked about. We've talked about a few of these movies before that just have a very bleak, depressing ending. And and you don't see those enough. So you like that, especially in this genre. And then The Orphanage, which is a movie produced by Guillermo. And that's a very effective ghost story. Uh, paranormal Activity, obviously, that we've already uh, touched on. The Reaping, which is a movie I really like with Hilary Swank and Idris Elba, takes place in the bayou, which is basically about um, the plague happening again. Really oh, cool movie. I forgot about that movie. That's a Damn. really that's a really cool movie. Yeah. Um, and then Wreck, which is the Spanish uh, Quarantine is the American remake of right, Wreck. Uh, it comes out from Spain, like I said. And then yeah, you get another Resident Evil movie this year. Um, and then Trick or Treat. 
which another just really fun party movie, an anthology film like we've never really seen before. There's like you, what, four or five? There's there's like four main stories and then you kind of get the people who started, the Leslie Bibb character. You she get, starts you get a bunch of like wraparounds. The and... coolest thing about this, yeah, it's an anthology movie like we've never seen before because these aren't like separate stories where all of a sudden you go back to the Crypt Keeper or you go back to uh, like in Body Bags, the John Carpenter movie where the guy in the morgue and he sets up the next story. These stories all blend together you get characters from different parts of the story showing up in the backgrounds of other stories. So it's, it's just a really fun watch. Another really good, like, scary movie party flick. Okay, so now we're on to 2008. Big year for the, the three of us. Uh, I, I just have two honorable mentions. I have a top three. Um, I have a top three as well. So let's let's hear Max's honorable mentions uh, to begin with. Uh, the first one is Let the Right One In. And the second one is The Strangers. And my top three is The Strangers. My top three is Let the Right One In. Hey, guess what? We're all friends. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, some way. Okay. So I'll let you guys talk about The Strangers. Because you were home. Um, for me, I mean, as much as you have said that you... And I'm sorry, I just watched too many movies. I watched too many movies. You brought a lot of great evidence to court today. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like I said with Saw, that Saw was my favorite horror movie. Strangers scared me more than any other movie. Like I said, I think in the beginning of the 70s episode... The paranormal doesn't quite get me. Real stuff gets me. The fact that crazy people can show up to your house and terrorize you and put you to your wits end and just fuck with you scares me more than a ghost or a possession or any other demon. Especially when there's really no motive. When there's no motive. And that's the other thing. Like, the is Tamara home? The unscrewed light bulb, oh, like the reaction, like, you know, the the burlap sack, the porcelain doll face mask, like everything about that movie is just absolutely terrifying. And how you mentioned, Alex, about them accidentally shooting the Glenn Howerton character with the shotgun, like it just shows the psychological torture that stuff like that can happen. And nothing is scarier to me than dealing with all of this and then having Liv Tyler scream, why are you doing this? And then someone just slowly leans in and says, because you were home. In a calm manner. And it's just, it just throws me for a loop. It's, the I watched this movie. I tried watching it for a second time several years later. Got to the first, like, knock at the door. Was like, nope. <laughs> and then... And then for the podcast, tried rewatching it. I got farther in, but then there was still enough where I was like, I'm alone in my apartment. It's very easy access to the one level of window that I'm in. I'm going to switch to something else. Like, this movie just scares me to my core. There's something about, like, to me, humans are the scariest thing on the planet. And so this movie, to me, is just the scariest movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it takes the home invasion genre and ratches it up, right? Yeah. I mean, th- these people are, they have a plan, even though it's totally random of why they're there. Random. 
but they have a plan and you can tell that they get pleasure out of it. It's something that does chill you to your bone, especially if like, you know, you have, or you grow up in a place that's a little bit more rural. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and the burlap sacks over the faces are, I would say an iconic villain now. Absolutely. Um, so it's, it's a very effective movie. Uh, because the whole time you're pulling out your hair going, why? Yeah. Why, why, why? Well, and especially in, and it gets you even a little bit more where the couple that's there are like in a strenuous relationship. There was a proposal that should have happened, but isn't happening. When I rewatched it, that was the one like saving grace for me where I was just like the emotional trauma that these two have already been through yeah. in the night. Whereas like in the movie Inside Wood, I'm talking about like sh- the woman had experienced the emotional trauma like four months prior for these people, they're it's day they're, of day of they're, they're coming from yeah. a wedding. Something happened. And when they get home, he was planning to propose, but obviously he can't now. And it's just, it just adds more to it, especially from him. Like the thing that always gets me is when she runs out of cigarettes and he goes, okay, I'll go to the store. Like that gesture alone in the, the feelings that they're already feeling where I'm like, nah, dude, you're pissed or hurt. Like stay Sit at that table and just eat ice cream out of the jar. Yeah, like you don't. Whatever. She doesn't need cigarettes, but then the fact that he leaves, and then that's what gets those people coming in, and then it like it's just the whole psychological part of it. I mean, I was just at a bachelor party, a quarantine bachelor party. It was me and f- four other guys. We went to this cabin. We did nothing else. And even in that cabin, the first thing I thought of was like, "Sure as fuck, hope no one knocks at the door while we're all like here, drunk as fuck." Like. God damn, like, it, like I didn't even see the movie, and it still, like, rattled in my brain, like, eight years later. To me, this is the scariest movie I've ever seen. Impressive. Um, yeah, and it's another one, like, what I touched on in the beginning. I'll never forget seeing in the theater, and the first time that you realize that that guy's in the house, the one with the burlap uh, bag oh, mask. Dude, that, that, when he comes out of the hallway, when she's looking out towards this way, and he just comes in and then slips back into the shadows... Fuck. Yeah. For for our uh, young, impressionable minds at 18. It oh, absolutely. Definitely, definitely very, very scary. And also, too, yeah, the fact that they are just doing it for pleasure, for fun. Like, the, the end scene on, almost is, like, scarier to me than anything that happens with the Lib Tyler and Scott Speedman character where it's the two kids who end up stumbling across the bodies. And they're, like little missionaries or whatever. They, like, have their, you know, Jesus pamphlets. And the one girl comes out can I have one? And the guy's like, are you a sinner? She's like, sometimes. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, these people are not going to stop. And this wasn't their first time doing this either. You know, you you play that whole thing back in your head. Brian Bertino, who's the writer director, said that this is loosely based on something that happened in California, in California yes. yeah, to where also the real story of that is there was a daughter that was at a friend's house. And so these people came, found the, Cops come and find the parents tied to chairs, killed, and there's a baby in the other room untouched. So it's like they had a play, like it was just basically an impulse, just like literally because you were home. Like that line just fucking gets me every time. It's crazy. Um, okay, so then let's talk about the best vampire movie ever made. <laughs>
let the right one in. There it is. Uh, so this is a Swedish film. And my God, I watched it just yesterday. Uh, something I've, it was a movie that I've had on my list forever. And then I stumbled across the Blu-ray a couple of years ago, popped it in the night of when I got it. It was just floored. Uh, so much so to where I'm like, this isn't a movie that I need, like that I should revisit like every, you know, other month or something like this. It's a movie I should watch like once a year, you know, really let it sit and resonate with me. Um, I just think that it's so artistically done and well-made to where like a movie like um, 30 Days of Night, they use the Antarctic or they use um, Alaska as a really cool isolated um, setting. Whereas this one, you're in Stockholm and it's dead of winter. So you have a bunch of snow and all that stuff, but you don't ever really feel isolated, but you still feel like trapped by the cold. And you can tell that, you know, I don't want to call her a young girl, but she's a 12 year old girl who's a vampire. You can tell that she's like thriving in this environment almost. Um, and then also too, the, the boy in the film, he's just as sadistic and crazy as her. Like he has these bullies and this is going back to the uh, Michael Myers, uh, Rob Zombie yeah. conversation where he has these bullies that you you can almost justify this preteen, this adolescent having these murderous thoughts because you're just like, this guy's getting just punked at school day in and day out. And all of a sudden he makes friends with this vampire who moves in next door. And obviously he doesn't know she's a vampire right away. There's kind of the whole, you know, finding out part and stuff, but it's, it's great. It's really well done. You can tell her struggle, her pain and, and the caretaker that she had is this old guy who's basically has to go out almost against his will. You never really find out how he came to be her caretaker, but it's his job to go out, kill people, drain their blood, bring it back home to her so that she's not the one going out, leaving bodies, leaving corpses, like, you know, for the police to find and all this other stuff. Turns out the kid is a, like, he's, he's warped. And so he's collecting all these like scrapbook, uh, newspaper clippings of, murders and just terrible things that have happened in his community in society at the time so all of a sudden when they develop this relationship he can take care of her better than this guy this old man who's been doing it for the longest time and that's really where their relationship blooms because all of a sudden he's like you can help me with my problems i can help you with your problems you know the the only real vampire uh, effects that are used in this film which I think are great because they're very traditional. It's almost like going back to our Fright Night conversation where like uh, her, she can change her voice to sound like anyone. And those scenes are really, really scary. Her face all of a sudden when she's like really upset goes from this 12-year-old girl to probably the, you know, however many hundreds of year old, year old vampire, vampire yeah. that she is with the wrinkles in the face and the crow's feet and the eyes. And you're just like, holy shit. Like yeah. you can only imagine the things that she's lived through. Um, the classic vampire rules too. It's in the title. Let the right one in. You have to invite a vampire into your home for them to be effective. And there's a great scene where she's proving her love to him where he goes, what happens if I don't let you in? This is after he knows she's a vampire and she's killed some people and she just doesn't say anything, but she walks into his home and about 15 seconds later, she starts shaking. She starts bleeding out the eyes, the ears. She's showing you this is what happens. Um, and so it's just really, really cool. The two main child actors, like I say, kill it. Uh, the Swedish backdrop is awesome. And then also too, yeah, just bullies getting their comeuppance. The last 10 minutes of this film, when they're in the swimming pool, it is some of the best um 
I, I would just say like it's one of the best payoffs in horror. And and yeah, this movie is highly regarded. It's like you know got a nine or a ten on almost any rating site you can find. The subtitles, I can see why this one might become a chore for some people to watch because this isn't like a lot of action. There's a lot of dialogue that's happening, but it's also a film that sucks you in within the first like 15 minutes. So really cool. Like the one big effect is when she acts like the main girl vampire. She uh, attacks a woman doesn't finish the job and then you get like 15 minutes 20 minutes of this woman's life as someone who's slowly turning into a vampire and she checks herself into a hospital and she does all this stuff and she finally realizes what happens to her she asks one of her orderlies to draw the shades and she just goes up in flames and it is so cool it is so well done uh yeah i rewatched it again like i said just a couple of days ago and i i need to watch it you know, every year around this time. It's it's the best vampire movie I think I've ever seen. Uh, technically speaking, it is absolutely gorgeous. The cinematography, the way it's shot, uh, you know, a, a shot that uh, comes to mind is when she uh, gets that guy to come under the bridge and the shadow and the snow, and it's just all so well put together. Um, it, it's an elegant, it's an elegant vampire movie that's, set in modern day and it's like a love story yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah again genres weaving into each other yeah this isn't you know something like even though we love things like fright night and this is almost more of a callback to like near dark where near dark's a very romanticized vampire tale bram 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 stokers yeah and and that's a that's the really fun thing about this is that it stays true to what the traditional perils of being a vampire are it's you know eternal life without love and what's worse to think of than that and they and then these two characters find it and you just can't help but feel happy for them at the end even though honestly they're they're two pieces of shit these (laughs) this 12 year old this 12 year old kid and this girl trapped in a 12 year old's body as a vampire um so uh 2000 or what are we in yeah 2008 Yeah. yeah so those are great uh um hall of fame inductees for this year this year's freaking stacked though so you have Cloverfield come out this year. Which almost made my honorable mentions. It's easily in my top 40 or 50 movies. I love Cloverfield. Cloverfield is a movie that I saw at this Galaxy 6 theater that we're talking about on opening weekend. And let me just tell you, I was a minority in the crowd. And there's nothing more fun than being a part of an audience that is interactive oh, and yeah. not afraid to be interactive. And you kind of only get that when you go to certain movie theaters. And holy shit, like Cloverfield in the theater, so fun. This was one, an unforgettable experience. This was one of those movies to where the Lakewood 15, I dragged I like my eight closest friends and they were like, we don't want to see this movie. I was like, trust me, we're going to go see this movie. <laughs> and they had the, the computer paper up there being like, this is going to cause motion sickness and like epilepsy. And like we went and saw that and it was all me and my friends could talk about for about four days afterwards. Like, and another movie that capitalized extremely well on the viral marketing campaign, yeah, which we, we touched we, on last we did, week. Yes. Yeah, where you had just like fake websites and you just so many different rabbit just holes that you went down different information. And then also like, you know, that, that clip at the very end with the Coney Island with the satellite coming down that like, that's the thing that wakes up the monster. And then, you know, the JJ Abrams universe of slusho and like, Slush-o. what, what is that? What, what does that do? And like, what is, that, that connect to and yeah no cloverfield is phenomenal it, it's great uh goes in like where he talked about with uh bong joon hones yeah the host 
this, you know, when I all of a sudden started watching the host, I was like, oh, this is where you got a lot of the, even though it's on a way grander scale, this is where you got a lot of the same creature monster effects. For, yeah. Yeah, for or whatever Matt you want to, Goddard whatever got you want to, whatever you want to call the Cloverfield Absolutely. monster. Yeah, yeah, I guess you just call it Cloverfield. Or Cloverfield monster. Yeah. yeah. Clovey. Um, Clovey, yeah. <laughs> um, and so then Diary of the Dead comes out this year. George A. Romero comes back to uh, the genre that he's, you know, famous for starting. But then something to go back to the Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, the, like, credit scene at the end when all of a sudden they the found find... found footage. Exactly. Yeah. Found footage. I feel like he saw what Zack Snyder did during the end credits of that and was like, let's do a movie oh, that's that. like this. No, absolutely. Yeah, and that. I wanted to comment on that when I brought up Dawn of the Dead just because of I knew other things were going to come up with Paranormal Activity and Cloverfield. But that was like... I love when credits do that to where the movie ends and you start getting some credits, but then they add some extra scenes because one, I'm one of those people. I love sitting through the credits oh, and always. seeing the, seeing the yeah. people. And I, I always sometimes get frustrated when people just get up and leave where I'm just like, well, no, like pay homage to the people who made this movie. <laughs> and so like when Zack Snyder did that with uh, Dawn of the Dead, getting you that little extra snippet to where like, if you left when, Michael kills himself, and they're sailing off in the boat. You're like, okay, cool. They make it to the island. Nope. That's not the end of the movie. I mean, they do make it to the island. They make it to the island, but it's not the end of the movie. So actually, just a fun fact, going back a couple of years to the Snyder one in 04, I'm watching that, and of course, you know, your eyes are just kind of unfocused, and you're picking up on all these different names that show up on the screen. Heather Langenkamp has a special effects. So we're talking about Nancy from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. She has her own special effects company now, which Zack Snyder used yeah. for Dawn of the Dead. And I'm watching that like in credit scene just for uh, the shots, not so much like, you know, people who are on like the eighth and ninth and tenth slide of credits, but then boom, I see Heather's name and I'm like, oh shit. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. What? Um, so I, it's, it's a really cool movie. Eden Lake, which is, uh, yeah, Michael Fassbender. Fassbender. Yeah. Oh, man. This it was on my watch list and I didn't get to it, watch but I, it. But I saw Michael Fassbender and I was like, I got to see Definitely that. Definitely watch it. And then it's got the girl from uh, like True Detective season yep. two, I believe. And she's in um, Yellowstone right now on TV with Costner. Her, her name is um, Kelly Riley. And oh, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a really good movie. Um, and then The Happening, M. Night Shyamalan's like yeah, we don't nailing the coffin. <laughs> yeah, it comes out that year. But it, it's That's just, like a comedy, right? <laughs> yeah, right. We're That's, going where? It, it's you just, cheated on me? It's, it's just funny to see. Think, what are people doing? How much we heralded, heralded him at the end of the 90s episode with Sixth Sense. And then he's still making things like um, Signs at the beginning of this decade. And then by the end of it, you've had an auteur just like fall from grace. And yeah. you're just like, what are you doing, bud? Just um, a swing and a miss. Big swing and a miss. And then Lake Mungo, which is a found footage movie, really cool uh, kind of ghost story. That's on Amazon right now. It is, yes. Uh, and then another movie from France that it would have made my honorable mentions, if not my Hall of Fame, but I just can't with a straight face recommend it. It's Martyrs. <sighs> and Max, I know you and I have watched this in pieces together. Yeah. This is... It's scary. It's scary, and it's like the end-all, be-all to torture porn. Yes. It, it is like the exclamation point. It's not even a period. It well, is it's, it's French extreme point. horror mixed with torture porn. Yeah. And I know it was remade in America, I think, in like 2015 or something like that. Don't ever watch that version. It's garbage. Um, the French film, if, if this is a movie that like if you go on a Reddit deep dive or anything that you're just like, what's like, I've seen everything. I'm desensitized. I can take it. I can take it. 
the first movie that always gets mentioned is like, well, okay, go watch Martyrs and then tell me what you think. Uh, Midnight Meat Train, a really, really fun uh, Clive Barker story that gets fleshed out into a feature-length film with Bradley Cooper comes out this year, and that was a lot of people's... I've never seen that. That was a lot of people's first look at Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, that's a good movie to go back and watch. Uh, and then The Ruins, another movie that is just great movie. really fun. Yeah, a great movie and an inventive movie, too, where it's kind of like Turistas, where you're in South America, so it's really beautiful scenery. If you don't find yourself liking what's happening in the movie, you can at least appreciate what's on screen it's got a good cast jenna malone a few other like household faces um and then yeah you guys already touched on the strangers good for you and (laughs) now and now we're on to 2009 um which i have a hall of fame and an honorable mention i'm i'm all tapped out i have an honorable mention okay what's your honorable mention? my honorable mention is sam raimi's drag drag me to hell i was i figured this one would get up there yeah yeah um a weird Almost borderline satirical horror movie. There's a lot of comedy aspects that are also like hard to watch, like just dead bodies, but how they land on people, you know, like it's just what what happens with the old lady and the curses. It blends the paranormal. It blends the just intensity. The thing that gets me the most out of this movie is a really really good storyline but the end shot the end shot of the main character thinking everything is resolved everything is fine but then justin long's character has the button still in his pocket because the envelopes got switched but to me the thing that like solidified this as an excellent horror film is that final shot spoiler alert when they're at the train track and she realizes that it's not done and that it's about to end for her and the train tracks open up and she falls down and he's trying to stop the train and try to save her. But then it opens up and these skeletons start dragging him down. Justin Long, who is widely renowned for his comedy and for his very lighthearted pan acting, his reaction to seeing someone being dra- literally dragged to hell sealed the deal for me I he's was got like, like a great screaming face yeah he's yeah. he's a scream king I feel <laughs> he's, like. he's very underrated yeah no the, the, his reaction just his shot of looking down and reaching down and then the realization of what he just saw still sits with me there are other parts of this movie that are terrifying that are funny that are like it gets you through it's not it's not a overall horror movie but that end scene just sam raimi Coming off of Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, Evil Dead Two. I mean, even well, he, uh, after this, he's coming off of Spider Man. This was like his I was return. Say, Spider the the there's the surgery scene in Spider Man Two, which is him just being like, "Hey, let me throw my horror fandom." Don't forget who I am. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and like it's a phenomenal scene. But he like not only does this movie kind of irk you and make you laugh, but just kind of keep you on edge. That last scene terrified me of just watching Justin Long's reaction and just kind of putting yourself in his shoes. So that's why it's an honorable mention. Almost maybe a loose fit because it's borderline satirical. But just a, a, when it comes to horror movies, I feel like it fits. The witch in that movie. If oh, we could yeah. call her a witch. She's yeah. a witch. Yeah. The, gyp- the gypsy witch. The gypsy yeah, witch. Yeah. She's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Like, like that scene where like they have to dig up her grave and then the body falls and then it's like, 
her gummed mouth falling on the chin of the main character. Like, it's funny, but also the grossest thing you've ever seen in your life. So it kind of, it holds a, a delicate balance between horror, th- eerie, and funny, while also being just fucking thought-provoking at the very end. Allison Lohman, where are you at? Like, yeah. I thought she was going to be a superstar She was phenomenal movie. in that So movie. good in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, no, I'm, I I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up making uh, yeah, its way no. up onto the board here in a second. Uh, okay, so I'll touch on my honorable mention first. And this is one where, like, I didn't want to talk about Martyrs. I didn't want to talk about Inside because they're French. And I, I wish I could just put the whole entire, like, 2000 to 2010 French New Wave of Horror up there as its own Hall of Fame inductee. But not yet. I'm going to talk about, uh, so this movie is made in Denmark, parts of it, France, parts of it, Germany, parts of it, Italy, parts of it, and it's my guy, Lars von Trier's Antichrist, Oh! oh. and now I'm not going to spend too much time on it because it's an, it's, it's an honorable mention, but Antichrist is a film that I don't, I've never really known how to categorize this, you know, it comes out in this decade of quote-unquote torture porn. And there certainly are some very pornographic scenes in it. There are some extremely uh, torturous scenes in it. And there's some that blend both of those together. There's an extremely disturbing genital mutilation scene involving Willem Dafoe. Um, have you seen it, Grant? No, I have not. Okay. I purposely I, stayed away from it. Alex made me watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and let me just say, like, I, Alex shows me a lot of great movies this one i never want to watch again a lot like cannibal holocaust i remember watching the trailer. you only need to watch it once i yes. remember watching the trailer for this because i was like oh lars von trier willem dafoe antichrist sounds like a great horror movie i watched the trailer and i was like no so it's, a, it's another movie that takes place here in the pacific northwest uh which you know like willem dafoe's character gets a bill from harborview medical center at the very beginning it's the autopsy of his son who has tragically fallen out of their apartment window at the beginning of the film because of some negligence during some coitus um between the <laughs> two main characters and that is what sends these these two it's just literally when you look them up and uh, on imdb it's just like man and woman that's willem defoe's character is man and then charlotte gainsborough her character is just woman and it just they so what happens is that her character goes into grief he's a therapist who says let's go out to our family cabin you need to isolate yourself all this stuff blah 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 he comes to find out that his wife She's not like a witch in the sense of something like Suspiria or anything like that, but that she's been practicing some extremely weird things. He finds he comes to find out that, you know, that her relationship with their son wasn't what he thought it was and that she basically blames him for the death, even though it's, you know, they're equally at fault for it. And yeah, like the talking fox says in the film, chaos reigns. Yeah. That's all I'll leave it at. Um, and then my Hall of Fame inductee from this year is another guy. Where you been at, Ty West? The House of the Devil. You have to forgive me, Samantha, because I've not been completely honest. We're from the desert, you know. You see, we we actually don't have a child. They lied to you. I know. Okay, I know you're right. But it's four hundred dollars. This equals first month's rent and then some, and all I have to do is sit inside and watch TV. 
This is huge. This one night changes everything for me. Um, so the House of the Devil uh, comes out in 2009, starring Jocelyn Donahue, Tom Noonan, Mary Wanavove, AJ Bowen, who's like, he's a household face. Look him up. You'll know who he is. And then a super young Greta Gerwig just fucking killing it in this movie. She's so great. And then Dee Wallace. So he calls back to a scream queen of the 70s and 80s. And she just has like a great classic, you know, role within the first five minutes. Character's name is The Landlady. Like, I just love when horror movies do that. They just give, like, their character's title is the role they play. Uh, So that's really cool. It's set in 1983. And it feels like it's shot in 1983 because Ty West uses 16 millimeter cameras to do this film. Uh, it's it does what I've talked about before on this podcast is it mixes religion and space science, which I just really really like. It's got major Rosemary's Baby vibes as far as we're bringing something um, out utter like outerworldly into our existence. And so, yeah, it's it's a really slow burn with an epic payoff. Basically, what happens is the main character is desperate to make the down. Have you seen this film, Max? I have not. Okay, so the main character is available on Prime right now okay. for anyone listening. Um, uh, the main character needs to make her deposit on a new apartment in college because the roommate who she's living with just always has a boyfriend over. She's a fucking pig. Like, the room's just always shit. And she's just, and this girl's like very traditional. She doesn't want to deal with any of that or whatever. And so, yeah, at the beginning, she finds this apartment that's perfect for her. The down payment's like $300. And she makes a comment to the Greta Gerwig character, who's like her best friend, that I have $84 in my like bank account. How am I going to, you know, afford this? Like I have to write a check come Monday or whatever. So she's walking around campus and she sees a babysitting ad. So she takes it. She calls the guy. There's red flags from the beginning, but not enough to make her turn away, even though the Greta Gerwig character is just like, this sounds sketch, this sounds sketch, but, you know, this guy's offering her, he ends up offering her like $400 for this babysitting gig that night, come to find out that it's more of a caretaking gig, and he even like admits that. The whole exposition in the first act is believable to where you were like, if you were in that position... You would go along with this because of what you need, and he's providing it, which is a bunch of money. Um, and and obviously not to like he doesn't say, you know, we need your body to try to bring an antichrist into the world or whatever, which <laughs> is basically where this movie goes. Um, but yeah, I just a, a part of part of what makes this movie so special to me is, and you know, I, I kind of thought that Trick or Treat was going to make one of your guys' lists so that we could talk about this, but I didn't have as much research behind it, so I'm kind of glad we didn't, because this one I really dug into, like, what happened upon this film's release. Because this is another movie where you look it up, it's high 80s, if not, like, a 90% or, a you know, 4 out of 5 stars on whatever, you know, whatever critics you listen to or whatever. Um, and so it, it has a premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival okay. in April of 2009, and it gets great reviews. Like, it does extremely well there. And then it just kind of goes into this, like, hiatus where no one hears about it. Like, you, you heard about it, how good it had done, but then it wasn't showing up at other festivals. You, like, no one really knew why or anything like that. And then it's one of the first movies that was like, we're going to do a VOD-only uh, release. So that happens in October on October 1st of that same year. So then it's on VOD up until October 30th to where it had finally picked up enough steam to where it gets a limited theatrical release 
but only in, you know, like Chicago, New York, LA, you know, big, big market cities. And then it goes to uh, DVD and Blu-ray in February of 2010. So I actually didn't watch it in this decade. Technically watched it for the first time, you know, in the decade of the the teens or whatever we're going to call them, the tens. Uh, but yeah, I, I will never forget. And you had to, it was like a Blockbuster exclusive. Like it was only released at Blockbusters. So I was living in Hawaii at the time, had to track it down. And so after like basically a year of hearing about how cool this movie was and how it was just a homage to the 70s and 80s, it was shot like that. I watch it and I'm like, this movie freaking delivers. And this is before I knew I loved movies like Rosemary's Baby as much as I did and things like that. Uh, Prince of Darkness, movies yeah. like that. Um, so yeah, I just, I can't recommend this movie enough. Like I said, it's very accessible right now. It's on Amazon Prime. I, I, I've probably ruined too much already, but it's like an easy, <laughs> it's an easy 80 minutes. It's a very good, uh, very good watch. Probably by yourself, but uh but yeah, I, I, go watch it. It's it's really good. I, I recommend it to both of you. Have you seen it? I've not. House no, of the Devil. No, okay. No, I've yeah. not. I've heard, Ty, I've heard a lot about it. And then Ty West also just he he's like one of the main staples of the VHS franchise that comes out the next decade. A guy who and then he makes another movie in a couple of years called The Innkeepers, which is really good too. A guy who I just where have you been, bud? Like I know he's been doing a bunch of TV, just like single episodes of kind of like drama thrillers. Like your CSIs and Criminal Minds and stuff like that, but I, I cannot wait to see if he makes another horror film because yeah. I think this guy's got a great, great vision. Yeah, well, I got so, that on my list. The House of the Devil. There it is. Okay, so we have four spots left, fellas. Somebody uh, want to recap what's up there already? Yeah, we've got The Rain, Saw, Teristas, Paranormal Activity, Rob Zombie's Halloween, The Strangers, Let the Right One In. And the house of the, of devil. the devil. Yes. Okay. So that leaves us with four spots left. Um, Looking through the honorable mentions, there's a couple that we uh, crossed over on, like the strangers and let the right one in. The fact that 28 days later isn't up there yet. That, that I was think, the first one I was going to bring up. Yeah. Absolutely. It is a. Uh, it's just a great f- film. It, beyond horror, it's a great movie. The way it it structures, the way it was filmed, the way we get Killian Murphy, the way we and get... And it redefines zombies. Yeah, it, right? it, it yeah. brings that old, slow homage into the terrifying, fast-paced world, which then leads me into the next one, where I think Dawn of the Dead needs to be up there. I think... In rewatching it this past week, I have no problems with that as well i i think you've got 28 days later up there Mm -hmm. i think you don't need dawn of the dead up there then the 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 reason i'd throw it out up there is just because of what dawn of the dead does for the horror genre i mean like it it is that love letter to george a romero you get tom savini you get ken fiori there is that one other guy and i'm blanking his name but he plays the colonel in that small bit and it's just that that homage to what got the horror genre to where it is. And then also it sparked things like the dead rising video game series of being set in a mall of killing zombies. It kind of, it it does the whole, uh, the grittiness of movies where Dawn of the dead was a little bit more that 
horror close-up. Like when you saw the guys coming at you in 28 Days Later, it was close-ups of their faces rather than really seeing the wave and the, the the guys coming right at you. I do agree with you. Yeah, if you got 28 Days Later, it kind of sparked that whole I think thing. we should keep it on the table for now. Yeah, we'll come but, back to it. But there's other genres that aren't represented in – like sub-genres that aren't represented in our Hall of Fame yet. And so I, something from France has to get up here. And I don't know if we want it to be high tension. I don't know. And now I can't, you know, speak for all of us. If you've seen high tension, I'm not. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave that to you guys on that. Um, the whole the French. I have no problem making it high tension, even though, like I said, without a straight, you know, with a straight face, I can't really recommend any of these movies because I don't want somebody to be like, "Fuck you, Alex! Don't tell me to watch this movie (laughs) after after 80 minutes or 90 minutes of just like carnage." I I think high tension is probably the most user friendly well you haven't seen them and okay. and i don't want you to disown the strangers like i did but <laughs> but i would definitely recommend to go see that but right now i have no problem putting high tension up there just to get the french new wave represented i so think cool i think that, it's a good if you think it, that's the best gateway uh french new wave the best film recommendation into, for our viewers then i think absolutely. i think them is them is honestly because high tension really turns it up where there can be there there would be a part there could be a couple of parts that i'm thinking of in high tension where someone would just turn it off there, so you, so you would, would recommend to a first time like me who has not seen i, I would say you would say watch them, them before then yes. i think Put that them. needs to be up there yeah um I also think Hostel needs to be up there. Yeah. Yeah, because like I was saying, I was thinking about that too, because Turistas is a well done take on the torture porn genre and Saw doesn't really touch I feel on like, I the, feel like the Saw sexiness. Tr- I feel like Saw and Teresa's are on either end and Hostel kind of blends the two together and yeah. kind of bridges that whole what we've talked about, the new wave of the 2000s. Saw kind of redefined the horror genre, Hostel fed off of it, and then Turistas was like, let me take the storytelling of Saw and the gruesomeness of Hostel and kind of bring that together. So I totally agree with that. Okay, I, now, would, I would love to revisit and throw out there just because as I'm looking at these movies, I would love to throw What Lies Beneath back out there. Because what, what Lies Beneath is, what none of these movies are, is a ghost story. It is a well, true... Or except paranormal activity, yes. You get ghosts, you get possession, there's demons. The ring, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Never mind. I guess those two are there. I'm thinking more of, like, more, like, substantial. Like, those are things that are visceral. They are there in real life in both those movies. They're possession, that kind of thing. Where what lies beneath is just basically the memory. It is someone finding the things. It is Michelle Pfeiffer seeing these things and kind of putting the puzzle pieces together. And the scariest thing about it is Harrison Ford's character is not who he says he is. This and is true. He, and he's also a, a very like renowned doctor. So once he finds out that she's catching on, he flips and starts like trying to drug her, starting to frame a suicide. And it is just cool that it's Michelle Pfeiffer, Robert Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis yeah, behind like the Robert camera. Zem- I mean, looking at the list, we don't have like a Oscar, like huge... a, a blockbuster type. Like, yeah, scary and that, movie. what lies below? I mean, and also, kind of Alan cool. Silvestri did the music, which adds a little bit to it. I will say, back when I watched it. Like like I said in the beginning of the 70s, the ghosts, the paranormal doesn't scare me. This movie terrified me. There's a scene where she's driving the truck with Harrison Ford hidden in the bed of the truck. And she dri- like she sees a woman in the road and she drives through them, but it's a ghost. And it's like that 
that image sticks with me. The you know, spoiler alert, but the scene at the end of them driving into the lake and him trying to drown Michelle Pfeiffer, but then their truck like unearthed the car that <laughs> this other woman died in, and her corpse comes up and is somehow possessed because of the seance they did before, grabs Harrison Ford, and what that does to him, and what that does to the whole thing. I mean, this movie is just, I feel, even though it was done in 2000, it is kind of like the New Age ghost story before we get Something like The Crimson, Ring. Or, or even like Crimson Peak or in even the Crimson, next decade. Yeah, That's no, a exactly. movie that I kind of, like, that would be a good like, double feature. Like Paranormal Activity and The Ring, I feel like are, yes, possession movies, yes, they're ghost stories, there are things that come in, but this is like your campfire ghost story. This is a... This guy killed this woman, her body's in the lake, and someone starts figuring it out, and he tries to start covering it up. Also, like how we touched on, it's Robert Zemeckis. When has he done something like this? So here, here's what I think it comes down to the, for this final spot. Aside from uh, picking the movie specifically, I think we need to think about what we want represented. Yeah. So do we want a What Lies Beneath type, like, star-studded... Crowd crowd pleaser blockbuster. Yeah. Or then Max, one of your honorable mentions, um, Exorcism of Emily Rose. There's all there's a ton of movies that came out this decade, like The Haunting in Connecticut, The Haunting of Marley Harley, like there's Amityville a, Horror. There's yeah, the the remake. There's a bunch of movies that really uh hinged on on that aspect of the genre. We could put another zombie one up there like Dawn of the Dead. And then also, I mean, right now we only have uh, Let the Right One In and Them as foreign language um, offerings, if you will. And then we could, uh, and so we could also put The Host I was going to say, up there. The Host was going to be my backup behind what lies beneath. But. And The Host kind of touches on something we don't have up there as far as like a monster. A monster. Yeah. You know, a monster movie. And that's also one that, that we've all, like, we've, I know we've all seen it, and it's all, it's fresh enough in our minds to where we might not have, you know, well, we, also, we might not hurt each other's and feelings. And we're fucking enough. cinephiles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're also going off of the hype. No, we want, we want, like, yes, we want people to broaden their um, horizons yeah, and, and watch a movie that they haven't seen. And I believe this is available on Hulu right now. So absolutely. if you're listening to this. And then going off of the hype. Even if we don't put it up there, go watch it. The director winning like sweeping the Oscars for Parasite, if you liked that movie, go watch his earlier You flicks. know what? I think we do put it up there because I want people to go watch it right now. So much of this movie, the characters are wearing uh, like N95 masks. And there is, it's like, it's a pandemic movie basically mm-hmm. because yeah. they don't know if this monster can create, you know, an, epi- an epidemic of ca- ca- like... Um, catastrophic proportions. Drew Goddard, who wrote Cloverfield with Matt Reeves, even said those little bugs that fall off of the monster in there is a direct line to the host for the parasitic, the, you, you see the part where Lizzie Kaplan in Cloverfield like explodes behind the thing because right. of the disease and the fast acting parasite. So the, the host, I think, you're absolutely right, holds a huge weight and we need a monster movie. Put it on the board. So there it is. Okay, so let's uh, round out the honorable mentions that made it up there real quick, guys. So we've got 28 Days Later, Them, Hostel, and The Host. Which creates a fantastic top 12 Hall of Fame. It, it does. It really does. And you know what? There's plenty more. 
in this decade. Oh, absolutely. I think we've spent more time on this episode talking about movies that just aren't on one of our, you know, honorable mentions or Hall of Fame lists. And so hopefully, whether or not uh, you've seen the movies that have made our board, or if something that we said has just sparked your interest, whether it's going and watching a foreign language film or going and watching some of these more extreme, you know, American contributions to the genre. Um, yeah, this is this this was all of our formative years. Like everybody knew who they were starting to become yeah. in this decade. And and that's really what it's all about is figuring out what you like, what you want to be entertained by. And this genre or this decade had it all when it comes to this genre. Uh, so I'm very excited to put a bow on these twelve Let's wrap it up. Uh, we look very much forward to next week where we're going to bring on two very special guests to help us round out our five-part series of the horror genre for the last 50 years. Can't wait for you guys to hear what we have coming up next. Until then, see you at the movies. One thing I want oh, to say okay. real quick. Okay. Thank you so much to everyone who's listening. Oh, Yes. Uh, in these times that we're in, it's hard to stay positive. It's hard for good news, you know, to be bright. But I look forward to doing this podcast every single week. I appreciate both of you guys, and I appreciate everyone who listens. And you know, keep interacting. And I hope yeah, these talk movies- to talk to us more, like as as. As much fun as I have coming every week and watching movies during the week for this podcast, as much as I love you two guys, the interactions we get through social media, in person, just it it makes us happy. Like it keeps us want to keep doing this and we want to keep doing it. And it's just been a fucking blast. Well, and like what you're saying, Max, if, if things are if you're feeling down right now, hopefully, you know, you're not thinking about scary movies as bringing you further down. View them as an escape. Like, go watch these and be like, wow, at least my life's not that bad. It's you spooky, know? <laughs> it's spooky yeah. season. Get yeah. spooked. Yeah. yeah. And this is our 10th episode. And wow, that's just something to be very proud of. And so we hope to bring you more and more and more. And, and more. the support we've seen already just builds our esteem up <laughs> phenomenally. So like we said, keep interacting, keep talking to us. We're going to keep talking to you. We're gushing right now, guys. We're yeah. ear to ear fans yeah. right now. No, we, we love you all. You know, stay, stay busy. Keep listening. Till then, we'll see you at the movies. Stay swell and give them hell. Watch beer and drink movies. You like scary movies. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. What have you done to it? What have you done to its eyes? Lion. Oh, it's a lion who's coming.